Good evening, good evening, America. Welcome, welcome back to another episode of The Sea Report. Uh, we are coming to you live on this uh, Tuesday, July 12th, 2022. And I am your host, uh, Mr. C, as always, also known as uh, Michael Aaron Gossetis. And it's great to be here with you all this evening. And I hope y'all are doing well. For those of you out there who uh, are not used to me playing that long intro, but I gotta apologize. I was uh, running a little late doing some stuff here in the back. And I just want to let you guys know I was coming on. And, you know, there's nothing like a uh, five-minute timer to give you a kick in the butt. But either way, ladies and gentlemen, I do hope everyone is doing well today. I apologize for my absence yesterday. Uh, we had quite a busy weekend here over at the Sea Household. And, uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, it, it has been one of those weekends. Uh, you know, are we, uh, are we possibly in another, uh, another uh, Monday on Tuesday? Maybe so, maybe no. Uh, I hear the uh, Foxhole uh, app platform over there has been having a little bit of technical difficulties throughout the day, so hopefully they're doing well. Uh, I've been kind of keeping some tabs over at the uh, friends down yonder today. Uh, so hopefully everything goes on and it goes well over here tonight. I know uh, the individuals who uh, work on the back there, like the mats, Matt1776 and stuff, uh, the tech people, the ones who do all the stuff in the back, many thanks to them. Uh, they uh, quite frequently are really quick to help out with that situation. So, well, we are live on the Foxhole today, ladies and gentlemen, the foxhole.app and pill.net, uh, as well as Rumble, Twitch, and a few other stations, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm going to say hello right off the bat to some of the friends hanging out down yonder. I saw a Patriot 1776 in the audience, as well as Tam Growl. Great to see you two ladies hanging out today uh, as we get the show kicked off. I know we're on a little bit early today, a little bit earlier than normal. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure, actually, uh, also being able to meet both uh, Tam Growl and uh, Patriot 1776 there this past weekend. Uh, we held a, uh, a Foxhole Central Texas meetup. Because we are in the hills of Texas. Well, some of us might be, uh, but not most of us. We're just, we're just on the old plains of Texas and uh, had a great time at this weekend. It was an absolute pleasure getting to meet uh, some of the audience out there. But, you know, and more importantly, fellow patriots, you know, uh, I think uh, a lot of good conversation was had. That is for sure. Uh, on, uh, that was Saturday, Saturday. Yep. Had an extended hangout with some of the friends and that in itself was special alone. Uh, so thank you guys again for, uh, you know, coming on out and saying hello. I mean, yeah, it wasn't for, it wasn't for me, for those of you in the audience that were not part of the Foxhole family. It was to meet up with some of the, uh, some of the, uh, friends, some of the patriots, uh, some of the fellows and fellas. If, uh, fellow is for a male is fella for a girl. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, but it was fun. It was a good time. It was a good time. I've got pictures, but, uh, well, we won't be going on and on into the pictures this afternoon. Uh, it's, a, a bittersweet weekend, ladies and gentlemen, a bittersweet indeed, um, and while I probably won't spend a whole lot of time at this moment uh, going into it, uh, but uh, someone else who um, 
made headway over at the Foxhole app, uh, the Foxhole.app, I should say. Um, unfortunately, we've lost um, a patriot in the fight against uh, this misinformation and disinformation and uh, too much information, this war, uh, better, better known as the irregular warfare uh, that we are currently involved in. Um, while um, defending and restoring our republic, ladies and gentlemen. Um, uh, so uh, a lot of things happened this weekend, I gotta say. Uh, same as with yesterday, you know. Um, things were all on track to go, but things came up. So uh, needless to say, um, take a moment of silence for those of you who don't know and uh, for those of you who may know already, uh, uh, Justin Amersh over at Cannabis in Combat. Uh, we lost him this past weekend. I'm about four days removed from the situation, uh, but I'm learning as quickly as I can uh, what happened. And uh, it's pretty crazy, guys. Um, it's pretty crazy. Uh, my thoughts, my prayers, my heart, my soul goes out to Justin and to his family and to um, all of his listeners and fans and family and friends on the interwebs, on the foxhole, uh, over at Rumble. Um, man, man, had, I don't, you know, I mean, I met him, uh, I spoke with him, I interviewed him, um, but uh, he, uh, I, I mean, I, I couldn't tell you exactly how long he'd been in the live stream podcast truther kind of game, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to call it that. Sometimes it seems like it is a game, sometimes uh, some people are playing games, but um, uh, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, indeed, um, he was uh he was he was growing and expanding pretty quickly here guys uh cuz I'm pretty sure he was new to uh the venue of uh sharing his truths and uh, reality and conspiracy theories on the air. Um but that's about all I've got to say about that right now guys. Again, um just so you guys are aware about Justin Amersh. He uh is not with us on this planet anymore. Uh, I, I believe uh, July 8th um, is when things went down. But we'll, uh, we'll talk about that uh, again a little later on, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I absolutely am not going to not say something about the situation, guys. I mean, uh, we don't ignore our fallen brothers and sisters. At least I don't if I think something is going on. <clears throat> but like I said, we'll leave that there, guys. Uh, you know, I actually had... Um, yesterday's show, we were pretty much ready to go. And, uh, like I said, some stuff was going on and, um, uh, so just didn't, uh, didn't make it onto the airwaves yesterday. Uh, so, you know, I have, you know, today's show pretty much all lined up for you guys. I didn't, uh, take the pleasure in reviewing any of today's headlines. You know, I've been caught up with a whole bunch of other stuff as you guys might be able to imagine. Things go on, ladies and gentlemen, things go on. And, uh, well, you know, I'm just going to actually deliver to you guys what I had ready for yesterday. So, I mean, it's going to, we got a pretty good show ahead of you guys. You know, we do. Like I said, a lot of stuff happened this past weekend. Uh, in addition to me, you know, my own personal joy, right? And my, my own little slice of heaven there, you know, had... Meeting, meeting up with uh, fellow patriots, uh, really getting the sense that we are not alone, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you know, there were just, there were like, what, four or five listeners 
uh, right out of my own backyard, you know, hanging out, you know, and uh, you know, I might not have been able to have, um, you know, chatted and got to know everyone um, that was there, um, with, with, you know, with some with some regret in that. But um, for what what was had, it was just a great experience, a great feeling. Overall, you know, this ragtag bunch of uh, mixed patriots, right? We are a bag of mixed patriots <laughs> from, you know, from all walks of life, but, you know, uh, pretty much all within the same uh, goal, you know, end goal, the same dream, the same desire. And uh, that itself is tied up in, um, you know, the progress, the advancement uh, etc. of uh, the human race, you know, um, which uh, I might add, but I probably don't need to, you know, that America is uh, the last bastion of hope in most instances regarding um, that race that is human, right, of many colors. So it was a fun time. And uh, oh, goodness, uh, let me see what's going on. I got a, uh, I got a thing in here from uh yeah we're just kind of we're going at it today guys um we're gonna talk about shinso abe obviously because um he now that is peculiar oh you know what i bet you i did uh d patriot 1776 said i am not live on rumble i bet you i know what i did in my uh own mentally distracted way i bet you I actually have two Rumble channels, just in case y'all didn't know. <laughs> Why do I have two Rumble channels? Well, you know, one was called The Sea Report and one is called Mr. CTV. Uh, now, on the Rumble channel for The Sea Report, uh, my absolute intention there is to uh, upload every single episode of The Sea Report, starting with the first. Uh, and I think I've begun that process, but I have not kept up with it. So I bet you I put... Tonight's episode over at the Sea uh, Report channel instead of Mr. C TV channel. Yeah, you see what happens when you have too many uh, too many monikers that you uh, <laughs> you use your name with. <clears throat> Sometimes you make those mistakes. But let me uh, let me check it out and see if that's what I did. And if I did, then I apologize to my regular uh, Rumble audience. Oh no, they don't know I'm live today. Because I'm on another channel. Yep, I did it. That's what I did. <laughs> that is what I did. Okay, uh, tell you what, guys. Just for hoots and hollers, I will uh, drop that link over into um, the chat rooms. Just in, case, uh, just in case I'm not live at my Rumble channel, I might be live at my other Rumble channel. Isn't it funny how that works out sometimes? I think that is funny. Ha ha. Not ha ha funny. If you catch my drift. But I don't even know if I'm live at the foxhole right now. I've been getting pinwheel after pinwheel. And like I said, uh, their, um, their channel seems to be going down frequently today. It's been happening all across the board. I've been watching it. So mm. much luck to them, you know. Uh, and all of us, but that is why I also drop, um, or I shouldn't say drop, but that's why we're on multiple platforms. Um, so if my, if my audience so desires, they may uh, scope me out on another platform or they may remain loyal to the platform that they scoped me out on originally. 
Uh, let me put a note to my listeners over at the Foxhole, because it looks like it's totally down now, and I don't know if they can see me. Uh, but uh, two Rumble channels. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are doing some live on-the-air troubleshooting here at Sea Report. It happens from time to time, but not often. You know, just uh, often enough to be a bugger, but not often enough to be a quitter. You know what I mean? Uh, let's see here. Um... You know, I actually, uh, man, you know, I was actually a little bit at odds about um, how uh, today's show is going to be. You know, I'm a very much kind of stream of continuity, structure type of thing when it comes to certain t- stories to tell and uh, certain news to share, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, picking up where shows leave off. Everything to me is a great continuity. I look at it in this way. Someone could actually watch the Sea Report from episode one all the way through episode 333, which is today's episode. And they, they require, or maybe they'll pick, they'll pick, I'll pick 150 or I'll pick 200. Say it's a new viewer and they're like, I want to get to know the show. I like it. Uh, let me look at some of the older shows. Now, watching 333 episodes can be a little bit daunting. It would to me, especially when you have a crazy host who sometimes goes on for five or six hours, right? You cannot depend that you're going to watch 333 episodes and spend like 999 hours because some of his episodes are longer than three hours. Some of them are shorter, you know? So uh, anyways, maybe maybe they're a new viewer and they're like, I'm going to go back and listen to all of his episodes I'm going to start with episode 300 because they're the kind of person that likes the continuity, right? So we'll pick up here. We'll watch through there. So I always think about those things whenever I'm going, what if someone were to like put down every episode of every broadcast I do on a pegboard? They're like, okay, we got uh, the Sea Report Monday, the Sea Report Tuesday, the Sea Report Wednesday. Then we got uh, This Is News. And then we got the Sea Report. Then we got the Sea Report. And we got uh, Sea in the Dark. Then we got a Trump, you know, a rally. And we got another Sea in the Dark. Then we got Lone Star News. And we got the Sea Report. And the cycle repeats. And they want all of that in order. Just to see how I, as a host, handle the continuity of all of these confluences. Well, you know, I think about those things. Those things go through my mind. And uh, yesterday... Yeah, because I don't want to be like doing like a chop up show. Like I'm talking about this topic and this subject on this day, but it's going to air on that day. And then, you know, and then it's just, you know, you know, this is why people should not lie, because if you have a bad memory, okay, if you suffer from some type of mental uh, defect in, in the memory department, like I do at points, ladies and gentlemen, then you want to make sure that you tell the truth, okay, because it is hard enough to remember the order of operations to begin with, right? Anyways, is that what keeps me from lying? <laughs> eh, not necessarily, I think. Uh, anyways, let's stop talking about lies. We're talking about truth, okay? So um, uh, for yesterday, you know, and then going into today and then le- learning about what has happened to uh, Justin over there in Nevada, over there in Clark County, over there with Sisolak and Lombardo, uh, you know, I just, I just figured, and then, you know, t- then to have to go through the headlines again, and then, you know, what, what, what a way to spoil a great weekend, but not in a disrespectful or selfish way, but, um, you know, keep saying that, um, or at least I'm saying now, you know, since I haven't been on the air too much this month, you know what, a week and a day, and we already like on day 12 or something like that, um, Man, like, 
a lot of things are going to be happening, guys. A lot of things are going to be... Ha they're already happening. They are already happening, you know. Um, they're happening in a very big way. In a very big way. Uh, between what is happening um, on Capitol Hill, down to the State House, down to uh, one's own house, ladies and gentlemen... So, um, a lot to talk about, a lot to think about. And so, you know, that's why I was like, well, we're just going to go with yesterday's show. Yeah, you know, and you guys would never know this if I didn't tell you this stuff. So, you're welcome. <laughs> I, I have a habit of uh, spilling the inside baseball while the baseball is in progress, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk more about, about that later. Okay, so uh, my, my ramble here is because things are happening. And um, we're going to talk about it. And, um, well, ladies and gentlemen, I didn't review today's headlines. So I can't tell you, oh, yeah, this and that is going on. Uh, I can tell you we're going to do an abbreviated version of housekeeping for today. Uh, so uh, here's what I got for ya. Uh, oh, wait, <laughs> that is not what I have for you. Uh, let, whoa, 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 come on. I forgot to. Yeah, that you see. And I gave myself an extra five minutes. And, uh, well... The live audience enjoys the uh, enjoys the feats of the um, technical problems. ShopMrCTV.com. Click on uh, the shop button over at thecreport.com, and you guys can get uh, your own uh, Mr. C and the C Report merchandise. Uh, right now through July 17th, we have a 17% discount on all Mr. C merchandise that, that includes, uh, accessories, uh, home goods and drinkware. In addition to the apparel, uh, promo code or coupon code 1776REBORN, that is, uh, 1776REBORN, all one word. Use that at the checkout and you can get 17% off of all shop mr c tv merchandise a lot a lot of the new stuff is from our political truth line you know good fun fashionable educational the um mr c tv uh political truth uh design line available at shop mr c tv we actually have a brand new design ladies and gentlemen a brand new design if I may say, that did not get approved by the, uh, uh, you know, during the manufacturing. They said no. They sharply declined my new design. And I wish I had um, actually, like, taken some screenshots of the design. It was, in my opinion, it was pretty badass. Like, it was pretty badass. Um, and I, they said no. I, I don't know what term of service I violated. It might have been... Uh, uh, harassment and bullying. It might have been, what else could it have been? It might have been endangering someone's life. It might have been misinformation or disinformation. It might have been, I don't know what it was. They didn't tell me. They just said, sorry, sorry about it. Uh, we're not going to accept this design for sale, which, you know, then they told me also to go back and review my previous designs and make sure that they didn't offend or I don't know, you know, I don't know what term of service to go on because they didn't tell me. But needless to say, you know, this is some of what we deal with in uh, the uncensored world of the awake American, right? Just doing what they can to inform their brothers and sisters about the uh, evil machinations of the rulers of the world. 
you know, therein lies the key, ladies and gentlemen, is that uh, they don't have to be the rulers of the world. Uh, we just let them be. But that is a philosophical point, uh, a philosophical, a theological, a geopolitical point to debate, I think, at another time. Some people, after all, require their serfdom, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, that, as they say, is that. So, okay. All right. So that's all I was going to share with you guys uh, from... I don't know why I popped this thing back open. Uh, as far as housekeeping goes, I'm not going to take you through the whole run of the mill of it, guys. We're going to get into tonight's show. We're going to talk a little Abe Abe. You, yeah, you know, that's the other thing. In addition to... In addition to everything else that was going on this weekend, we also had President Trump making a stop in Las Vegas on Friday the 8th. Jesus Christ. Um, we also had him making a stop in Alaska. Man, guys, there are just too many things weigh on the soul of a man sometimes, ladies and gentlemen. Now, let's get into tonight's... Um, show shall we and uh we do we do tend to start with uh some statements from uh president el trumpo it, what do they call him il trumpo or il il trumpe or il trumpo i think it's il trumpo i don't know anyways these aren't from el trumpo these are from el trumpo the president okay <laughs> Let's bring him on the board, ladies and gentlemen. Where are we going to start? Actually, you know, President Trump's statements are going to kind of outline tonight's show. That You know, those are always the best way, especially when you have um, an onslaught of statements from our president. Uh, always the best way to do that is to frame the show around his statements. He had a... Uh, he had a ton of statements, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and probably a whole lot more since the weekend is over. Let's start with this one. You can forget about Vicki Hartzler for Senate from the great state of Missouri. She called me this morning asking for my endorsement, much as she has on many other occasions. I was anything but positive in that I don't think she has what it takes to take on the radical left Democrats together with their partner in the destruction of our country, the fake news media, and, of course, the deceptive and foolish rhinos. I was very nice to Vicky on the call, but will not be endorsing her for the Senate. Yeah, so this is, this is, how many non-endorsements have you guys seen President Trump make in his lifetime? Uh, I've heard him clarify non-endorsements. If you take, for example, uh, George, oh, what was his name? Georgie Boy Bush, right? Little Georgie Boy P. Bush, George Prescott Bush, the little... The little uh, Jeb Tyke, the little grandson of the pedophile, great grandson of the Nazi pedophile, right? You know, he was so confident that because he totally abandoned his uh, family and he totally, what's the word? He, um, he totally uh, just uh, denied ever knowing the Bushes in front of Trump, like basically 
as as the press would have you believe, little Georgie P. Bush, he um, he uh, he uh, totally gave up his family for President Trump. Like he was like family Bushes. I'm sorry. I am uh, hereby uh, disassociating dissociating from you guys. I am disfellowshipping chipping myself from the Bush family in order to follow the ways of Trump. And so he releases all these koozies, okay? Don't make me show you guys the story, all right? The story exists. Um, I don't make this stuff up myself. But uh, little Georgie P. Bush, while he's running for uh, Texas AG in the previous primary that he got his butt whooped in, he uh, makes all these koozies when he decides to run for um, run for AG. And maybe this was at his coming out party, right? It was the Georgie P. Bush coming out party. And uh, he was uh, running for office for state AG. And so he makes all of these koozies, right? You know, elect Georgie P. Bush, son of a Nazi, grandson. I mean, sorry, son, son of a pedophile, grandson of a pedophile, great grandson of a Nazi, right? Uh, that's what it says on the front. Just kidding. Okay, that part I'm making up. I embellished just a little bit, guys. And uh, on the back of the koozie, it has uh, like a... <laughs> One of those generic, like, uh, pin line drawings, like you would see, like, in the 1970s, right? It's just the outline, like, a, a coloring book. And it's him and President Trump shaking hands. And it's, like, endorsed by President Trump. Or, President Trump loves Georgie P. Bush, grandson of a Nazi, great-grandson of... Uh, I keep saying that backwards. Grandson of a pedophile, great-grandson of a Nazi. And, uh, you know, Trump has to say, you know, Georgia P. Bush, my, my good old boy, Georgia P. Bush, you know, I'm endorsing uh, Ken Paxton, right? Well, actually, President Trump didn't tell Georgia P. Bush. President Trump told, I mean, uh, the press told, <laughs> the press told Georgia P. Bush, they're like, uh, son, uh, President Trump is not endorsing you. <laughs> Isn't it great to talk a little bit about Texas? So we had a non-endorsement here on this first statement from President Trump that we are sharing with you tonight. Uh, Vicki Hartzler for Senate in Missouri. I hear there's a lot of crooked things about Missouri, actually. I've been kind of hearing that a little bit lately about Missouri being far more corrupt. But you can imagine, guys, if you think that a town or a city is corrupt by a measure of their political leader and the political party that's in charge of that city. And what's the first thing that comes to mind, honestly? Uh, San Francisco, Skid Row, California, Chicago, Pennsylvania, New York. They're like, you go to any one of those. What Portland, Oregon, right? Seattle, Washington. Go to any one of those democratically run, uh, you know, progressive cities, and you will see people on the streets, you will see the wealthy floating, uh, you know, 30 feet above the ground because their feet can't be bothered to be touched by all the poop and excrement and drugs and, uh, you know, drug utility uh, devices and piss and people and shacks and sheds and dirt and trash and everything that they have left that they would rather build over and bury just like they have done in previous civilizations these um, these uh, Democrat-run hellholes, 
are ultra-corrupt. You know, the DAs let the druggies and the criminals and the murderers off, and especially the illegals. And the AGs do not even bother regarding anything that has to do with constitutional law that comes across their desk. The mayors just keep turning it into these uh, these gun zones. Uh, like, well, well, why don't we call them the easy murder target zones for the defenseless and unarmed citizens of their city? You know, and they keep on dividing it with race this and race that and poor this and poor that and uh, political um, polarizing idea this and political polarizing idea that. Corrupt, totally corrupt these cities are, but they say, believe it or not, there is a place that is more corrupt than those obvious and in your face and look at your worst nightmares, America, if you let this happen, Democrat run hell holes. And do you know what those places are that are the most corrupt in this nation, period? Uh, that would probably be your rhino-run Republican conservative area. Because you know what? You won't see the dirt. You won't see the homeless people. You won't see the drugs. You won't see the blood, the piss, the shit. You won't see any of that. You won't see politicians riding in skylines like, you know, 40 feet in the air because they can't be bothered by the trash on the street you won't see uh, half of the things that you can see in the wonderland known as a Democrat-run hellhole. But in the clean, fake veneer of the conservative, rhino, Republican you, uh, oasis, right? We'll call it an oasis, right? Because it's just shy of a mirage, right? That is where you have the most corruption. That is where crimes go unseen. That is where crime goes unheard of. That's where crime goes ignored. That's where murder is just totally, uh, it's part of a process, okay? That's where you don't know who is trafficking who. You don't know what deals they're making with other people. You don't know what they're doing because they play such a good front of house. Because they're corrupt, because they're crook crooked because they're criminals, because they have absconded from everything that their office um, says is their duty, okay? And these are the people that covet office. These are the people that want the power. These are the people we have in power now. These are the same people that don't say, say anything. They don't say anything about election fraud. They don't say anything about election theft. They don't say anything about the certification. They don't say anything about audits, Okay, they are totally mum. They're not even against it. They have nothing to say. They saw nothing. They heard nothing. And they do nothing. So while on the outward front face, you know, uh, a Democrat shithole is what it is. Ladies and gentlemen, they are by far not the most corrupt. Okay, they wish... They had the role of some of our Republican leaders, whether that is White House or State House. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't care. It makes no difference to me at this point. OK, when I'm talking about a rhino, I am not necessarily talking about a national figure. I am talking about every because we cannot forget about our state 
elected officials. We cannot forget about our city elected officials, okay? So when I say rhino, please expand your um, image of focus from just what is going on in Capitol Hill, but all the way down to the very elected representative and senator of your state that runs you. And I want you to think about who that is. Who is your state representative? Who is your state senator? Can you name them? Okay. And if you can name them, what do you think about them? What do you think the job that they have done is? Okay. And then we can talk about your federally elected representative and senator. Okay. You know, depending on what state you're on, you know, you've got a dozen or more, depending on uh, what state, I mean, every state has two senators for the federal level, but you get what I'm saying, right? You get what I'm saying. So <sighs> rhinos and uh, elephants and uh, donkeys, ladies and gentlemen, they are not apples and oranges, okay? They are not apples and oranges. They are all herd animals, okay? They all, they all prefer that we have a herd mentality, all right? And uh, they, are, they are populating everywhere from Capitol Hill, from the White House to the State House, all right? Dirtiest cities are the ones run by rhinos, Republicans, fake conservatives, people who are selfish, you know? Maybe they're not political. Maybe they're just selfish. Maybe they just want what's due to them and they'll do whatever it takes to get it, right? No consideration for any other existence or perspective on the planet or around them. But, uh, you know, you can take San Antonio, for example. You can take the whole damn state of Texas, for example, if you want. When you, if you want to talk about uh, corruption, ladies and gentlemen... I mean, I think we should really, really, really start our dive into the corruption of Las Vegas, Nevada. That's what I really think, ladies and gentlemen. And who knows? Who knows? Who knows how this is going to play out, guys? When you think about all the stakes that are on the line for both sides of the coin, right? We're, we're, we're all human here. So, you know, you got your deep state globalist. I mean, I think they're human, but you got your deep state globalist, nihilistic, you know, uh, Armageddon army over here of all of these uh, World Economic Forum and deep state hacks and individuals that are working for whatever family or bloodline or however the story goes. Maybe it's not even spiritual bloodline. Maybe it's not even, oh, you know, I'm the son of David, son of Jesus, son of God, whatever. You know, maybe it's not even all that bullshit. You know, maybe it's just, uh, you know, my family took power. We were the wealthiest and we're going to maintain it no matter what it is. I mean, it could be anything in the, the, in the uh, thought of bloodlines, really. It could be. But what I'm saying is, you know, uh, whatever, wh whomever these people are beholden to, whatever the hell is going on with them, you know, um, just, uh, the, you know, it's, it's just, it's time, ladies and gentlemen, it's time. There's no telling where any of this will go. There's no telling where any of this, how any of this will fit into. We're all put here for our own reasons. Okay. And, uh, we all will serve a purpose in the end. God bless. It is not in vain, ladies and gentlemen. I don't think it will be. I really don't think it will be. But uh, 
I don't know. Is it a coincidence that Foxhole is not working today? I don't know, guys. You know, I am just ultra paranoid and I enjoy relishing some of this paranoia at the expense of other people. So uh, anyways, okay, so. And uh, guys, you know, I'm not literally paranoid, okay? Uh, you know, it's like I always like to say, uh, a good patriot always has a small amount of paranoia. I mean, hello, you have to ask the questions, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, and you ain't gonna ask the questions if you're one, if you're not curious, and two, if, uh, or I should say, or two, if you're not paranoid. Okay, uh, we'll get back to that statement. Here's a fun statement from President Trump. Let's take a gander. The Twitter deal is dead. Long live the truth. Now, one would have to ask, what does one make of a statement like that? Why on earth would President Trump shoot down? Do you know, why am I even asking such a question? I mean, it was pretty obvious from the jump that um, uh, President Trump would probably not go along with I should say, go along to get along with Musk and Twitter. I mean, how could you expect someone... I mean, do you, did they think that maybe President Trump was so dumb that he would go back to Twitter because they're not censoring him? Was Elon actually trying to bait Trump? Or was he trying to bait all of the supposedly awake conservatives, all of the still fast asleep Republican and, and uh, you know, Americans who uh, uh, Trump supporters, the supposedly awake Trump supporters. Let's just put them that like like the ones who say they're they're wide awake and then they've been awake. But it's only been for like a year and change. And uh, they um, <laughs> is that who Elon Musk was after? Can I even comment on this topic? Is it, has, is it even at its finish line? Probably not, you know? Because uh, then the next thing you know, people are going to be like, well, don't you know that Musk and Trump teamed up a long time ago and this is just blowing that up? I mean, it could be. It very well could be. Um, but staying in the reality of I speak from what I know. <laughs> It seems to me like President Trump never really approved and or authorized and or liked anything that Musk had to deal with as far as Twitter is concerned. I'm not saying that that is 100% the truth. Obviously, I could never know, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I am not even a fly on their wall, so to speak. Uh, let's take a look at um, an article I found. Um, that has to deal with, you see, a lot of stuff happened this weekend, guys. I have not even been able to go back and watch the Trump rallies from, um, Saturday in Anchorage in Alaska of all places, right? Let alone his speech in Las Vegas. But, uh, this article coming out of RT references something that President Trump, uh, may have said this past Saturday whilst in Alaska, uh, title of the article is Trump Calls Musk Another Bullshit Artist. Uh, the world's richest man has got himself a mess with a rotten contract to purchase Twitter that he is now trying to terminate. Former U.S. President Donald Trump said at a weekend rally as he touted his alternative truth social network, calling it hot as a pistol. 
During a campaign-style rally in Anchorage, Alaska on Saturday, Trump declared that one of the highest priorities under a Republican Congress will be to stop left-wing censorship and to restore free speech in America before tearing into Tesla and SpaceX founder Elon Musk. He's got himself in a hot mask, mess, excuse me. So he's another bullshit artist, but he's not going to be buying Twitter, Trump said, after mistakenly calling the tech mogul Leon, <laughs> Leon Musk. Uh, Trump also recalled how Musk allegedly told me he voted for me only to recently claim he is not sure he ever voted for a Republican. Oh, so he lied to President Trump. You know what? Because I'm pretty sure that Trump's mental faculties uh, are in place enough to remember such a thing. Uh, the former U.S. leader, however, acknowledged that Musk might later change his mind again and purchase Twitter after all. Who the hell knows what's going to happen? The billionaire and self-proclaimed free speech absolutist Musk first disclosed a large purchase of Twitter shares in early April before proposing to buy the platform outright, vowing it uh, to improve it by defeating the spam bots and authenticating all humans. The company's board at first sought to fight off the hostile takeover with poison pills, but eventually accepted his offer on uh, April 25th. However, on Friday, he abruptly canceled the $44 billion deal accusing the social media company of material breach of multiple provisions of the merger agreement. Twitter threatened to sue Musk to compel him to go through with the deal or pay a $1 billion breakup fee. He's got a pretty rotten contract. I looked at his contract. Not a good contract, claim, clump, bleh, Trump claimed. Wow, so he would have to pay a hundred and a hundred billion dollars to Twitter if he does this breakup. I'm telling you what, guys. I'm telling you what. Um, uh, it seems to me, <laughs> it seems to me that Twitter's going to get a pretty good payday from this, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, but they are going to get a pretty good payday. Um, let's see here. Uh, let me see. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What are you? Okay, there. All right. So, um, let's see here, ladies and gentlemen, where do we go with that? Uh, we have, uh, going back to this article, Trump was banned almost simultaneously from Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and other mainstream social media platforms while in office. Supposedly out of concern that his tweets about alleged voter fraud in the 2020 election risk of further incitement of violence. You know, I'm telling you, there are truly the most banned people in the world in some of these camps here. So, um, you know, uh, Musk, okay, it just recaps what Musk said uh, regarding Trump. You know, he would reverse the ban on Trump, okay? And then Trump insisted that he would never return to Twitter. Um, even if his account, which had 89 million followers, were to be reinstated. 
Truth Social, you know, and I'm still fighting with Truth Social, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who don't, for those of you who are not aware, right, about them, uh, I had my handle, Mr. C M R C T V, right? Member since February, promoting it since, like, what, November? Uh, on, on, online with True Social since April, right? And then, uh, some, uh, some company, some, some, what do you call it? Some aggregate business, right? They don't even make original content. Uh, gets on for five days and I guess they, I guess they declared, uh, um, copyright or trademark or whatever, you know, uh, in order to take my, I, who had the foresight to promote and be on Truth Social, take away my handle from me, you know, but you know what, as I've come to learn, you know, if, uh, if, if they didn't cause you that much monetary damage, never mind principle, never mind uh, morals, never mind ethics, you know, don't even contact the people in question, right, to let them know this change is about to happen. You know, I still get the Media Research Center's profile whenever I punch profile for me. You know, it's like they're, it's like they're mocking me. They're like, we changed your, uh, your handle for Truth Social without telling you. And then uh, every time you try to edit or update your profile, we're going to send you straight to the Media Research Center's page. Man, what jerks. What kind of people are running Truth Social over there, Devin Nunes? I think you need to get on it. I think, Devin, you've been given some clues about the kind of trash that you have at your Truth Social business. So something tells me you should clean that shit up, okay? It's starting to stink. And, you know, even if they do an ace job, they are crap at customer service. And let's face it, in the end... That is what's going to rule all, especially if you have an economy with the middle class, you better damn well have your customer service prepared for you. You better believe the middle class knows everything about customer service, all right? We're not, uh, we're not the type of people that um, are, uh, how would you say, we're not expectant. You know, we, we, don't, we don't walk around like we're entitled, but we know our value, okay? So you better give us some damn good customer service if you're going to fucking pull the rug out from beneath us, truth social without even so much regard for the other person on the other side of the screen, okay? No matter who's in charge of that team, Devin Nunes, you're the president. I expect you to take care of this matter. And at least, you know, at the very least acknowledge, not publicly or in person, but maybe uh, principally and, uh, you know, um, ethically speaking within the confines of your business, of reprimanding the assholes who think they can do that just because I'm a nobody on the other side of the screen, okay? I am a human, all right? I do expect to uh, be given the respect to at least contact me. You know what they say, at least take me to dinner before you toss me in the bed like that, you know? My business might not be a multi-million dollar business like your business, but you know, it still hurts, financially speaking, when you do things like that to someone who's trying to get their feet off the ground. And I guess maybe that is why they do it. I don't know, Mr. Nunez, you tell me, okay? Go into your department, figure out who it is and talk to them, right? Make sure it doesn't happen to another person on your platform, that they don't get basically uh, deplatformed, right? 
because some other company who didn't even care about Truth Social comes up and decides that they want my handle, right? Again, that I use in my marketing and promotions and all of that stuff. It's a pain in the ass. You know, it's, it's, it's stuff. I mean, there's far too much. There's far too many hours of footage where I promote MRC TV at Truth Social, right? Far too many hours of footage for me to go back and edit and doctor all that. Instead, what you have done, Truth Social, is you've given free broadcasting to the Media Research Center television studio or whatever the heck they are. Okay, so now that's me paying for their promotion free from people who may never even heard about them, you know? And then I get, what, do I get a finder's fee also for them? Because we have hundreds of hours of this Right here, okay, MRC TV, okay, that is no longer my true social handle because these assholes decided to not even tell me that they were going to do that to this channel. So yes, there can still be some grievances even in Trump world, okay, and I don't even like to call it Trump world, okay, it's stupid, something a stupid inbred gay person would come up with. All right. Okay. So enough about that. Okay. You got a little rise out of me, ladies and gentlemen. Good for you. Uh, so yeah, well, there's you go. Uh, there's a statement from President Trump about Elon Musk made these statements on Saturday. I might've heard them had I been able to catch that rally. I heard it was a really good rally, ladies and gentlemen, but, uh, things, Things, guys, things are going to be picking up here even more so. What's next? Ah, statement regarding Shinzo Abe, former prime minister of Japan, who, ladies and gentlemen, rest in peace, was assassinated um, over the weekend. Or, you know, it might have been before the weekend. It might have been on like on Thursday of last week. See, I'm a few days removed here. But we're going to give you the goods, so just hang tight, ladies and gentlemen. Here's a statement. Really bad news for the world. Former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe is dead. He was assassinated. His killer was captured and will hopefully be dealt with swiftly and harshly. Few people know what a great man and leader Shinzo Abe was. But history will teach them and be kind. He was a unifier like no other, but above all, he was a man who loved and cherished his magnificent country, Japan. Shinzo Abe will be greatly missed. There will never be another like him, says President Trump, and signed President Donald J. Trump, ladies and gentlemen. So... Shinzo, Shinzo Abe. Now, I'll be 100%. Oh, dang it. I closed it out. Jeez Louise. It's okay. We'll pick it up on this side. Um, we've, uh, we've talked a lot about uh, world leaders here. I think, I think we've done a fairly... We could do more, but I think we've done a fairly decent job about addressing world leaders um, you know, when it comes to covering international news, uh, which, you know, I am not trying to uh, melee, maline, sideline or say anything, uh, you know, 
say anything um, uh, derogatory or pejoratively about it, but like when it comes to covering international news, um, not many, not many have a handle on it. You know, not even the seasoned professionals have a handle on it. Uh, it takes it takes a little bit of perspective, I think, to really be able to cover international news with any degree of confidence, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, I say that because um, sometimes even the seasoned giants will say something that I just... They'll participate in a perspective that I just can't jive with or I don't understand why they are sharing that perspective. And there's usually just very few seldom reasons for why they'll share a perspective. Either A, they don't understand the situation themselves. B, they haven't looked into and or researched the situation itself. Or C, they're lazy or D maybe there's something else going on here. Maybe there is another reason why uh, it is that they are not uh, going out of their way to tell a just and clear story. Okay. Uh, Situation Russia has been the best for example, for that type of an idea, you know, uh, when it's clear and obvious to just about everybody in the world and Americans also that um, what we are being told by Western media about what's going on in Ukraine and what is what uh, certain uh, players in that um, in that engagement are dealing with and doing, etc., uh, the Western media is telling us something entirely different from what is actually happening over there. So case in point, ladies and gentlemen, when we're talking about it, and it's easy to do it. So, you know, uh, I, I, I kind of um, dreamed up my own little um, rubric, so to speak, my, little, my, my own little guidelines of exactly how I would address international stories. And by using that... Um, by using that, that formula, I guess you could call it, or using that, I don't know, using that algorithm, right? Mental algorithm. I've been able to, I think I've been able to pretty much like get or maintain a good stance on those in the world that I focus on when we're talking about people like Bolsonaro of Brazil, or we're talking about, uh, you know, the communists in South America, we're talking about the, um, uh, the presence of Russia and the role that Putin plays and what could be going on with that, that kind of thing. I think I've done pretty good just based on my own methods of understanding the world and the players of the world. So when we got to Shinzo Abe, and uh, actually, allow me to first uh, reset my time here, guys, because I have been a yak, yak, a yakin. Mm-hmm. 
What's up, ladies and gentlemen? It's Mr. C from The Sea Report, and I'm stopping in for just a sec to encourage you guys to head over to thecereport.com. At thecereport.com, you can get more information on The Sea Report, check out episode resources, follow our blog and get new articles every week, join our mailing list, and stay abreast on the latest news and information. That's right, head on over to thecereport.com. That's www.thecereport.com. And be sure to follow us on our social medias Truth Social, Rumble, Twitch, Clout Hub, and Pilt.net. So when it came to Shinzo Abe, ladies and gentlemen, I really had to be honest. Uh, I don't know, did not know a lot about this man and uh, who he is and or was. Uh, but now that he's assassinated and uh, he is no longer with us, uh, you know, just in brief, you know, um, a very highly revered former prime minister of the nation of Japan, uh, the longest serving Prime Minister of Japan. Uh, he did a stretch between 2012 and 2020. Okay. Prior to that, he did serve as Prime Minister, I believe, in 2006 to 2007. Uh, very well respected. They say that when it comes to modern Japan and uh, everything on this side of World War II, he is a seminal character or figure in regard to the development of the Japanese nation and uh, in, in respect to the rest of the world and the West. Okay. So, you know, I'm just like, this is very interesting. Uh, you know, uh, I don't, I don't know where, I did not know where to begin with him. So uh, for me, I guess the better thing to do would to be to start at the end where I began. And when I get to the end, which I guess would be the beginning, I would stop. You know, so have I gone that far into Shinzo Abe? Not particularly, but understanding that um, he was uh, like, if I were to use someone like President Trump as a um, um, a goalpost, right? And why would I use President Trump as a goalpost? Would I do it because, oh, I like Trump and Trump this and Trump that in America first? No. The reason why I would use Trump as a goalpost or a mile marker when it comes to world figures is because... All the other presidents in this nation, in the at least in recent history, have all been on the same team, right? So whether you have Obama or you have Bush or you have Clinton, right, in the last three separate presidents, uh, you will have um, each of those uh, uh, characters um, having some type of... Um, contact or touch with the nation of Japan in that time and they all have the same end goal and and whatever end goal that is it's international which means they don't report on it in America or even awake Americans and patriots don't understand it um, because uh, history and reading and research and time and it's designed that way right to where we don't have the time to do these things and to uh, pursue our interests but it's okay. Some of us out here do have that time. We're trying to make good use of it. Um, <clears throat> so you have Shinzo Abe as a uh, an ally of President Trump. Okay, so right there, you know, if I were to gauge uh, President Bolsonaro of Brazil and President Putin of Russia by the same 
measuring post, then I'd be like, yeah, you know, okay, so here we got a guy who might possibly be fighting the globalists, who might possibly be um, a good guy, a nationalist, someone who respects the boundaries of his heritage and his nation. And, uh, you know, uh, while, while being able and willing to work on a global, international, and inclusive scale, still maintain the sovereignty of their nation, okay? Maintain the sovereignty of their nation and their people away from any globalist overreaching interests, okay? Kind of where I'm going with that. So, you know, I think Shinzo, 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 like, seems to be like that kind of a character now. I don't know... Because, again, I have not been able to dive into Japanese history and culture. Like, I have been able to with, like, say, Ukraine, Russia, some of the Stan nations in between, uh, you know, Brazil, etc. Um, but uh, we'll do what we can. So, Shinzo Abe, let's kind of get into demystifying or to understanding who this guy was and how he affected the geopolitical world structure or even economy, if you want to say that, ladies and gentlemen. Um, you know, he had some different ideas that people talked about. Uh, let's uh, review this video real quick because it seems that the assassination of a world leader, let alone one who was making a stink on the world scene, and he was a problem to some, okay, uh, he was an ally to others. Uh, I think, um, I think, honestly speaking, Shinzo Abe probably walked a very precarious and a very fragile line, ladies and gentlemen, is honestly what I think. I think that Shinzo Abe was able to do something not many can or have tried to do, or maybe just never wanted to. Maybe they were like... No, I am the ruler and or president and or sovereign entity over this nation and will do it my way. And then eventually they have to go along to get along. But I couldn't tell you for sure because I don't know. I'm still in the beginning processes of my um, um, exploration, I guess you could say. For those of you who understand that's great. Shoot me some videos. Send me some information because, you know, there's going to be a podcaster because I'm like this sometimes too, right? When I watched Pete Santilli talking to, uh, talking to, um, uh, what was that, that, that Lee, that, what was his last name? Lee, it's a very common last name. He's the guest that talks about Russia and Ukraine. And this guy knows his shit about Russia and Ukraine. Lee Stranahan, right? When I watch Pete Santilli interview Lee Stranahan, and I don't understand, I, I, I get that uh, Pete Santilli doesn't understand a damn thing that, uh, Pete, that um, Lee Stranahan is talking about, and I'm sitting there going, oh, fucking Pete, you don't know that, come on, like, we just talked about that two weeks ago on the C-Report, why you weren't watching the show, no, I get, you know, okay, there are going to be people who are going to be watching this presentation like that, they're going to be like, come on, Mr. C, you didn't know this, this, and that about... Uh, Shinzo Abe. Oh, come on, Mr. C. Where are you? Get with the times. I thought you knew your shit, Mr. C. Anyways, how do I make this about the ego? Okay, let, let's forget about the ego. Let, let's put, push Mr. C aside. And let's go ahead and check this video out because there are a lot of uh, things that could take one's focus with the assassination of Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. And I think one of the things that at least the media, the lamestream, shamestream, fake news, mockingbird, propaganda, uh, 
you know, um, pedophile um, legacy media press uh, would love to get away with is a conversation about guns, okay? Especially when a prime minister is assassinated in a country that almost exclusively um, wants nothing to do with guns. And when I say exclusive, ladies and gentlemen, I mean the guns were not recalled. I mean, maybe they were recalled, but the people of Japan want nothing to do with firearms. Like they are off the table in that nation by the people. Now, if it's really that way, or if that's just the way their government and media makes it seem to the rest of the West, I don't know, ladies and gentlemen, but um, the gun the gun conversation is definitely one that the uh, lamestream, shamestream, pedophile, propaganda, mockingbird, legacy, press, media would love to get away with um, carrying that narrative. Like I said, gun-free Japan... A homemade gun kills a prime minister. Let us take a look, ladies and gentlemen. I'll see you on the other side. And turning back now to former Japanese Prime Minister Abe's death. That office longer than anyone before stepping down in 2020. And news of his death has rattled the mostly peaceful country this morning. Especially because Japan has one of the lowest rates of gun violence in the world making his assassination a particularly extraordinary act of violence. A lot to delve into here, and for more on this, let's bring in Professor Nancy Snow. She is an international relations expert and also a former Abe Fellow and Fulbright Scholar in Japan. Uh, Professor, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's been a long day. I can imagine. I can imagine. I guess we'll start out just by talking about how unprecedented this all is, especially considering we were just saying how rare this is in Japan, where uh, it also has one of the uh, world's strictest gun violence laws. That's right. But let me just give you the setting of where Abe was in Nara, Japan, just outside Kyoto. Uh, many tourists go there. That's where you have the very uh, placid deer. It's a very sort of mm. rural setting. This was not a huge crowd. And uh, the, the people were gathered quite closely to him with limited security. This is that feeling you get when you're in Japan. Yes, there is some violence. It's minimal, but not gun violence. And not only is it rare to be able to own a gun, but nobody wants to own a gun. Mm. I mean, that's the difference. They're repelled by it. It's culturally inappropriate for a country where a social contract, the social collective, is so meaningful. The Japanese are known to be so polite and, and very concerned about the other person because it's often very crowded in the big cities. So you really honor and respect the other person. And being disarmed is part of that feeling. And my, my heart is broken today for the Japanese people because no longer... Okay, I'm pausing it there because every single... And um, news cycle article venue that I heard talking about Japan all sound like this woman, okay? To, do you, you know, and perhaps I am reading into this, guys. But you know what? That's what I'm here for, right? You know, uh, put put me on the case. I'll sniff it out, and if it's nothing, well, we'll get back to you on that. But uh, 
because you have to think about it this way, guys. Think about this in terms of someone who is controlling centralized communications, okay? We might see CBS or CNN or ABC or any of them, Fox News, whatever, right? Maybe not even we. Maybe your general everyday, I don't care about anything but my, you know, um, my perspective, tunnel, vision, world life, which is okay, right? It's designed that way for us to only be concerned about ourselves. Don't care about politics. Don't watch news. Okay, and then if you take that perspective with that of centralized communication, right? They see CBS, they see CNN, they see ABC, NBC, they see whatever channel is out there, and they see them as independent, separate entities that have nothing to do with each other, that have no controlled interest, that don't run on the same networks or wires or platforms, that are not paid for by the same bosses and same corporations that don't have the same board of directors that are not run by the same type of money firms or banking firms or whatever you want to call them. The general public can see um, a news report like the one I'm showing you guys right now. And they will figure that is what it is. It is what it is. CBS News is, uh, you know, interviewing this individual about, uh, you know, the assassination of Shinzo Abe. And she is going on trying to ensure that the audience of this centrally controlled communications platform or operation understands that the people of Japan, the culture of Japan, the humanity of Japan does not allow for guns. They don't like them. It's not on the table. It's about respect and honor and probably spirituality and love for one another and the brothers and the sisters. Very, very much so. She wants you, the audience of this centralized and controlled operation to understand the way it is in Japan because you're not there and you have to take her word for it. You have to understand Japan the way she is telling you to understand Japan. Now, are the people of Japan not really like this? I'm, you know, I don't know. Again, I'm sure that they are every bit as peaceful and principled as this woman is saying, but just to draw out the narrative about the way this nation, this group of people, this, these, these, where did these people come from? They, not only do they um, agree to being disarmed, but they are also against being armed themselves out of concern for one another. Give me my mask. I'll let me smell your perfume or your farts, but I will wear it to make sure you don't get the virus that will most definitely pass through that, uh, you know, non-working uh, face diaper you have on. Do you get where I'm going with this? So um, we are being told as a nation how this nation responds to being disarmed. Never mind how they got disarmed. X amount of years later, this is how they feel about guns. And you know what? They just love the people of Japan, I'm sure. Okay. So there's, there's where, you know, my first C sense goes off, ladies and gentlemen. There's where my first C sense goes off because, I don't know, something smells fishy to me. But uh, never mind my paranoia. Let's finish listening to the lady. 
longer will they feel that they're a bit of the exception to the violent rule that we see throughout the world. And I'm, I'm afraid this is going to be a public trauma, a national trauma. I feel it, and I'm at my home in New York. I was just in Japan a few weeks ago. But it's, it's so, Abe's legacy is, is one thing, and it's incredible, and I've written a lot about that. But this is so much more, and it really plays into how the Japanese view themselves as a peaceful nation, as a beautiful people that the world over wants to visit. It's the number one country now that everyone wants to visit as we come out of the COVID period. Nancy, you make such a really, really interesting point about the culture, right? Because as you know, we've been dealing with a rash of public shootings and killings here in this country. Mm -hmm. And we sort of immediately go back to, well, the laws, what sort of laws do we need Mm -hmm. to restrict and control we never talk about the culture, mm-hmm. right? The gun culture in this country. Um, and I, I suspect you need both. Um, so you've sort of talked about the uniqueness of the Japanese culture. Can you talk to us, though, about the gun laws there? Yes, you actually have to register. You have the police who come into your home on an annual basis. You have to go through a very lengthy background check. I mean, it is it is so sort of bothersome and cumbersome. But again, so few people would do this. Some hunters might do it, but it is so limited. And especially when I talk to young people or I talk to everyday Japanese, they it's hard to even have a discussion about guns. It's not a debate. It's not even on the table as a debate. They just don't understand it. They have come a long way in the last century to the present. And they just see it as so inhuman that we have outgrown this as a modern society. They wouldn't think of arming themselves individually like that because it would break that social compact that we all feel when we're there. You know, our our correspondent, Nancy, um, um, sorry, Elizabeth Palmer, Mm -hmm. had said that part of the process is you essentially have to have references. They want to interview your family members mm-hmm. to, to get to know whether or not you have any violent tendencies at all. I think we would consider that particularly invasive here, mm-hmm. but oh, we would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no question. I think it would be comparable to, say, the federal background check I went through years ago when I worked for the State Department and the U.S. Information Agency. That went on for months, and they talked to friends of friends. I don't know if they got into a violent past, but it's completely acceptable in Japan because, again, no one wants to own a gun. And so it, it's, it's just not a discussion. And, and yet at the same time, I try to tell them it's a very different culture in the U.S. I use the same sort of cultural reference that it's not just a constitutional issue here, but it is that right, that freedom equalizer, as some would call it. They don't see it that way, and they'll never see it that way. And I appreciated that because I respect differences in cultures. And again, I'm so sorry about the loss of Shinzo Abe. I often had some criticism of Abe's policies, Mm -hmm. but not the person. He will be so missed for Japan. He was a 67, relatively young in Japan terms, Mm -hmm. 
but an elder statesman in nation brand Japan in this century. Well, and I was going to ask you about that, just the legacy that he leaves behind and how people have felt about him because he has been on the stage there for, for so long uh, and, and what the reaction has been on the ground there. Well, you know, so far, I think people are feeling numb. Of course, I'm hearing from all over on social media and emails and people are calling and they just don't know how to feel. They're, they're not even allowing themselves to believe that it's true, myself included. I can't believe it's true, but it, it is true. And it is something that we now have to deal with. And Mrs. Abe, too, I send my condolences to her. I covered the G7 spouses tour, and she's mm -hmm. very, very likable, mm -hmm. Akia Abe. And so now, of course, she's going through this terrible personal tragedy. But it's at, Japan is my second home, so I really grieve for my neighbors and for my friends there. And I wish that I were with them and we could be together right now. Yeah, we can, we can see the authenticity in your emotion, uh, Professor Nancy Snow. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you. We can see the uh, blah, 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 blah. Okay, sorry. I had to stop that real quick. I apologize, guys. I didn't realize I was on a mute for a while, apparently. Five minutes to be on a mute is a long time to be on a mute. You know, you cannot have that kind of dead air when you are on a podcast. Because... People will flee before you. <laughs> and sorry, guys, about it. We are currently down over at Foxhole. I keep getting the messages. Like I said, it seems like they've been going through their own problems all day today. Uh, so uh, Godspeed to those brave patriots over there. And uh, hopefully they'll get that ball rolling. They'll get that ball rolling so that the platform can live up to everything that it's intended to be, which would be a great thing if we all don't die first. Anyways, uh, let's go ahead. So, yeah. Oh, so I was going to say, in addition to Foxhole being down, you know, um, I uh, scheduled today's episode on the wrong Rumble channel. Uh, so I did throw out some links. I just put it over at my Truth Social, which also is the wrong address, right? Don't don't follow the one on the screen because the one is wrong on the screen. Okay, we're still doing free advertising for a media research center over here at uh, yeah, Mr. CTV. Mm. Uh, so we're on the C Report Rumble channel tonight not on the Mr. CTV Rumble channel. The Mr. CTV Rumble channel, it's got it all, ladies and gentlemen. The C-Report Rumble channel is intended for uh, the archiving of every single episode, because we picked up like on episode two, I don't know, 40 or 250 here at Rumble, maybe even sooner. Uh, but we have... Um, we have uh, like 333 episodes. There's like over 200 episodes that you guys have not seen yet. You guys would go back and you'd be like, oh my God, the future proves the past. If you saw my episodes back from our humble beginnings on February 21st, 2021, honey mama. But yeah, no, yeah, no, I, I got the official boot uh, at the start of that video from the foxhole. Uh, warning sign, exclamation point within a circle. 
we are having trouble streaming your show to the Foxhole app. But everyone is uh, feeling that pinch right now, most of all, Justin. So, uh, well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so what did you think about that video? I might ask uh, dealing with Shinzo Abe and uh, it's, it's boiled down to a question of guns for the uh, anchors and the talking points in the West, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let's let us capitalize on this notion now. And that's what they're all going to say, of course, because, you know, here's the truth. Here's the true kind of like pow right in the kiss about that is that in an unarmed nation, OK, where guns are illegal, someone still managed to kill a former prime minister with a gun. OK, okay. Uh, the catch being this one's homemade. So rather than, uh, because that's a good talking point right there. You know, you want to talk about gun violence and you want to talk about like second amendment and gun control. Oh, you tell them, oh, well, what happened in Japan? Japan is a, a disarmed nation and someone, a criminal, a murderer, an assassin, still managed to kill their prime minister with a gun. So right away, of course, you have the left, the Western media, all of them falling back on this. It was a handmade gun. So there's more reason why illegitimate Joe should try and take our rights to bear arms and ask his maid to wipe his butt with them. Okay. Uh, because there was a homemade gun, right? And you, you, this actually helps the argument more. A criminal's going to crim, right? A criminal's going to go ahead and they're going to uh, they're going to get those guns. And if they can't get the guns illegally, they're going to make the guns. So what's the point in trying to say that a homemade gun is illegal and should be off the table? Why? So you can get to printed guns. So you can get to the guns that people make, uh, you know, the parts individually and you, uh, you know, buy them separately and combine the package. That's what I'm talking about right here, guys. Uh, and, and so that's where the that's where they're trying to take this argument. OK, about this homemade gun that uh, this guy made. And uh, look at that. It is totally jerry rigged MacGyver style. You know, you know, and I got to say, who could tell you how to make a gun like this, right? Who could tell you? I, I could tell you who could tell you, okay? There was like some fabulous article put out by every single mainstream media. We're just taking this off the wire talking point that talked about this gun. And then they also published a graphic Okay, I'm not going to share it with you guys because I am not on principle going to teach my audience or anyone in my audience who should happen chance happenstance to come across my broadcast. <laughs> Say that I showed them the graphics of how to make this type of a gun. But rest assured, every other talking point off the wire, hot off the press, were just duplicating this uh this article we're not even going to do our own research and or put our own thoughts into it type of 
publication, most of them local, published a graphic that shows you every single part you need, okay, and, and almost what order to put them in, right, and how much, uh, you know, electric tape you're going to need to make this kind of a gun, okay? These people who are complaining and crying about gun control and how even in a nation people can make a gun, so we got to ban more guns, right? Get rid of all those real guns because then they'll come at us with fake guns. It makes no damn sense, but they're still going to use that as part of their argument. And then they're going to teach you how to make this homemade weapon. Okay. Now, now I dare say the only people that are going to learn how to make a weapon like this is going to be, you know, someone like me, who's just doing all the research and reading, or I don't know, some, uh, some boomer that still picks up the locals, right? <laughs> Antifa, don't read your rags. You know, like, uh, they're going to go and figure out how to make this gun. Because this is a homemade gun, right? And then they teach you how to make it. It's the stupidest thing. Ladies and gentlemen, what the hell kind of gun is this? Okay. Yes, they already got a name for it, guys. So we're quickly shifting from the assassination of Shinzo Abe into what people are going to tell you it's all about, Right? Uh, don't worry, we, we won't stay here long, but uh, this is uh, published by India Today. Okay, so I had to go over to India to get this information. Zip gun, the handmade gun used to kill former Japan Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. Let us learn and uh, let us learn some more. It says, in May 1984, two inmates at a German jail used metal bedposts, match heads, light bulbs, and simple batteries to create a gun and stage a jailbreak. Over the years, several versions of such improvised firearms, widely known as zip guns, have been reported across the world. A similar homemade gun was possibly used in the assassination of former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe in a country with strict gun control laws. See, that's what I'm saying. This would be my argument for allowing the uh, lawful, law-abiding citizens to stay armed. Because say we lived in a world where our government did not sell firearms to criminals and terrorists. Say we lived in a world where, you know, um, uh, criminals could not find a single way to lay their hands on a weapon. They could still make guns. They could still make a zip gun. They could get batteries and a light bulb and a bedpost and whatever. And they could make a gun. So you might as well let the innocent law-abiding citizens remain armed because you're still going to have crazy cartoon artists like this guy making a gun and shooting up people. So you might as well let the citizens be armed. Most of us are law-abiding and the only time you might question our ire is when you come for our guns, okay? Or... Or, or you leave us starving or something like that. Article continues. Former Japanese Abe Shinzo uh, was shot in the chest while making a speech at an election campaign in Nara, Japan on Friday. A lot of things happened on Friday, y'all. Uh, shortly after he was shot... 
police captured 41-year-old Tetsuya Yamagami as a suspect in the case. Police also retrieved the gun where Abe was shot at. Okay, and now I'm going to blank this out because uh, it is this very article from the MS. I got this off of the MSN, you know, newsfeed uh, from India today. They they teach you what the pieces are required to make this gun. We're going to go ahead and uh, roll over that. Sorry, my audience, that is not for your eyes to see. You can always go look it up at India today if you want. Okay. Actually, why am I not in immersive? Oh, I know why I'm not in immersive. Because when you went into immersive, it gave you some entirely different title. We're beyond the title, so let's go ahead and pop in. It'll make it easier on the eyes. You know what I mean? You know what I mean. See, instead of being called Zip Gun, Homemade Gun, Kill Shinzo Abe, the title miraculously changes to Moment When Ex-Japan PM Shinzo Abe Collapsed After Being Shot At During Speech. Uh, there's a lot of room for reasonable doubt in a headline like that, wouldn't you say, ladies and gentlemen? I would say so. Anyways, getting back into this article... It says, while the investigation into the incident is underway, visuals shown by local media provide important clues to the weapon used in the assassination of the former prime minister. According to Japan-based NHK World, Abe was shot twice by a likely homemade firearm during a speech in the western city of Nara. A careful look at pub publicly available images ruled out the use of sophisticated factory-made weapon in the incident. We tried to resuscitate him, but unfortunately he died at 5.03 p.m. And HK quoted Dr. Fukushima Hidetada of Nara Medical University. Abe's visit was only made public a day before, and the details of his schedule were released through social media. The 41-year-old suspect with a history of working with Japan Maritime Self-Defense Force for three years is seen carrying a weapon that appears to be an improvised firearm likely assembled with a pair of pipe guns, wooden block, and duct tape. The weapon, which, uh, according to local reports, was homemade, also features battery-like parts below the barrels, modern rechargeable lithium batteries often used in our daily use devices, such as laptops are used to heat the agent inside a shell, which is generally filled with some kind of explosive and metal balls. The um, electric wire scene... Okay... We're not going to get into how this gun works, all right? Uh, it says here, one of the obvious flaws of such guns is the limited firing range that does not make them a weapon of choice in high-stake operations. However, such weapons are often used at places of higher restrictions and surveillance, such as prisons, and can be used to cause lethal damage in close proximity. Video shot during the speech shows the suspect, Yamagami Tetsuya, uh, standing behind Abe and walking towards him before he opened fire on the 67-year-old leader who was the longest-serving prime minister of Japan. The existence of such firearms is a challenge for the security agents tasked with protecting high-profile individuals all over the world. 
so uh, what did they say his name was again? Yamagami Tetsuyo. Okay, okay. I'm just checking for uh, I'm just checking for consistency. That's all. <clears throat> I'm just checking for consistency. No need for a name like that to get uh, mistaken for another name, right? Right. What did it say up here? What did it say up here? I don't know. I'm in immersive. Let's pop out. Take me out of immersive, ladies and gentlemen. Take me out. Take me out. Okay. Okay. They just had his name backwards. That's that's all I was checking for. You know, in the first paragraph, they call him Tetsuya Yamagami. In the second paragraph, they call him Yamagami Tetsuo. I'm just checking for consistency. Okay. All right, so, well, there you go, guys. Ban all guns because you can make homemade guns, ladies and gentlemen. The logic is infallible, right? So let's take a look at who Shinzo Abe was, according to the Western press, ladies and gentlemen. And maybe we'll see um, a perspective outside of the West because that is usually, quite typically, the perspective that um, is a little bit more honest than what we're told here on the shores of America. This is from the New York Post. Shinzo Abe, the former prime minister, was shot and killed Friday while campaigning ahead of Sunday's parliamentary election. He was 67. Abe was Democratic Japan's longest-serving prime minister, holding the office from September 2006 to September 2007 and again from December 2012 to September 2020. He was a member of Japan's center-right Liberal Democratic Party. Now, isn't that weird how in Japan the Democrat Party is center-right? What? Kind of makes you realize that all of these labels, Democrat, Republican, all that crap, it don't mean nothing. It don't mean nothing, okay? Maybe in Japan, the Democratic Party is center-right. So this way they align with the Democratic Party of America, which is far left, right? So, but that way, at least in the minds of their citizens who are so busy and preoccupied with their life as life is designed by these assholes, will be like, well, you know, the Democrat Party is the right party and we're the Democrat Party also and Trump is bad or conservative is bad or whatever not Democrat or Democratic Party is bad. So we align. It's kind of like how, you know, Boris Johnson was the, the, the President Trump ringer for United Kingdom. Oh, we like President Trump. He seems like a good old chap. He sounds like he'll stand for our nation, national uh, sovereignty. And he sounds like he'll stand for the people. So we want someone like Donald Trump to run the United Kingdom. By gosh and by golly, let's have some tea and crumpets at 2.05 p.m. today. You know, and, and then so they're like, well, let's get them a President Trump look alike. So this way they think he's on their side, right? Yeah. You see how they play people. They use the same molds, the same diagrams, the same models and images for every single country. They just change the name because obviously the people of America want their sovereignty. They want their country. They want what they are entitled to. 
as God-given rights. And so the people of the world, they got to throw that model on them. You know, like, give him a Trump lookalike in the United Kingdom. He's not really for Brexit. He wants to destroy this country's sovereignty and make sure it is maintained by whomever is ruling the world. And let's tell the people in Japan that they have a, a Democrat party, but we'll make them conservative and we'll make them right-wing center so that this way they won't realize that they are also stuck in the same machine that the entire world's people is. And that is the world of playing a facade, a, a rouge, a veneer, a, a uh, what do you call it? It is just fake, ladies and gentlemen, a pantomime of a government based on two established parties that are actually running under the same umbrella, but the people will never know. As long as we divide and polarize, oppose and polarize, create opposites and polarize, create differences and polarize, they will never figure it out. That the Republicans and the Democrats are part of the same damn party, and half of you have been fooled, and the other half, have been so severely fooled that they will be made to look like the willful, ignorant idiots that they are because they believe that the Republican Party is there to restore the Republic when in fact there have only been a handful of people in their own party who had those intentions. And we are still fighting. We are still creating our pathway to a restored republic that respects the will of the people, that respects individual sovereignty, and respects the nation as a whole. Now, if these words sound harsh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to my classroom. Here we go. All right. Now, let's finish this article about Shinzo Abe. Who was a Shinzo Abe? Shinzo Abe is widely regarded as one of the defining politicians of post-World War II Japan, a conservative nationalist running under the Liberal Democrat Party moniker who pushed for the island nation to be economically self-sufficient and who led the drive to rewrite Japan's U.S.-drafted constitution, in particular a provision that prohibited the country from maintaining military forces. Now, United States Constitution drafted, or I should say United States drafted constitution, that prohibits them from maintaining a military force. Oh, but those people of Japan, they love and they respect life so much that they don't even have the uh, conversation of gun ownership on the table. Because of principle for respect for their neighbors, for respect for their brothers and sisters on this nation island, they refuse to even acknowledge the weapon. They deny the metal, ladies and gentlemen, the people of Japan, who have a United States drafted 
They have a post-World War II, post-Pearl Harbor, United States drafted constitution that prevents them from maintaining a military force, a sovereign nation without a military force, a sovereign nation without a military force is not a sovereign nation, okay? And we're not calling for war. We're not calling for munitions and weapons and guns and missiles and the Ukraine Azov Battalion inspired United Armed Forces of that country. We're not reminiscing about them. But a sovereign nation with a uh, lack of a military force? Now, maybe Japan was leading the way in the 5D ascended spiritual, uh, you know, uh, uh, pineal gland, astral projection, you know, uh, etheric realm. And uh, uh, what is the other thing called about your... Uh, your your memory and stuff, all of that. Maybe maybe Japan was in 5D 20 years or more ago. Maybe they're like, we are the spiritual leaders of this world. We are in 5D. We don't believe in guns because if you have a gun, then that means you believe in violence. And if you believe in violence, that means death and destruction. If you believe in death and destruction, that means negative energy and the end. But something is willing to tell me that the people of Japan, as advanced as they were theologically and spiritually and economically and emotionally, not even economically, but emotionally and, 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 and whatever, okay, whatever. How much influence do you guys believe that the United States government of the late to mid-1940s to mid to early 1950s, just taken over by the CIA, but not, not, not entirely so, right? The CIA didn't get their entire takeover of America until 1963, Ladies and gentlemen, if you guys can tell me what event took place at that time, well, you know what? I would suggest that my audience probably already knows and beat me to the punch in that regard. But who the hell drafted their constitution and said, because you bombed us in Pearl Harbor, you don't get a military force. And, and maybe even this, because of that incident, you don't get your guns, right? And then, and then we'll leave you alone, Japan. We won't bomb you into submission with more Hiroshima's and fat boys, right? I don't know, guys. You tell me. It seems to me like the way I'm looking at it, and I have not ever delved into the history of this nation on the island Japan. Uh, you know, I remember hearing about Abe after his um, assassination. And I was like, I recall that name. I feel like Trump was an ally. Could Japan possibly have been the most highly sculpted rendition of where the um, globalists and their elitist friends would take this world? I mean, can you say a nation totally taken advantage of? I think that, uh, whether my assessment is f uh, short-sighted or far-sighted, I'm sure someone could tell me. 
out there in the world beyond. But you know, that's what I'm saying. You know, if you have knowledge on this front or this topic, by all means, shut me up. You know, by all means, share the word. I am curious to know how uh, how accurate or inaccurate my fledgling assessments are of the nation of Japan. But never mind that. Let's finish the article. Let's learn more about this way of life. In 2015, with the blessings of the United States, Abe's government passed legislation allowing Japan's small self-defense force to function as a collective defense force and come to the aid of embattled allies overseas, a controversial move that his opponents labeled illegal. So the opponents of Abe did not want Japan to have their own collective defense force. In other words, uh, some, some organization amongst the ranks and the different bodies of defense, maybe, right? They didn't want them to come together. The opponents of Abe. Interesting, right? So we got some uh, photos on the screen as we move down. Former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe was a member of Japan's center-right liberal Democratic Party. Um, let's see. Oh, 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 we got a photo with Shinzo Abe and the lizard lady herself. That's right. Britain's Queen Elizabeth II. Alongside uh, Shinzo Abe and his wife, um, Aki, rather, uh, a gathering at Buckingham Palace. Isn't it always so funny when we're talking about... Uh, oh, what happened? When we're talking about... Uh, Look at this woman, okay? I told you guys, we don't talk about United Kingdom. We don't talk about London too much here. When they put the, when they take her body off ice, okay? And Br London Bridge has fallen. Uh, uh, you know, you guys can go ahead and tag me along. Look at this woman. Look at her. Look at her. She looks like a freaking, uh, like, a reptile. She looks like, a, she looks like the grandmother of a Tyrannosaurus Rex, ladies and gentlemen. You just cannot hide it. When it comes to dear old Elizabeth II, look at her legs. Look at that. Woman must have, uh, she must retain her fluids and her diabetes, uh, diabetes, whatever. She eats meat. She's, she's all carnivore. Anyway, so Shinzo Abe's pictured here with Queen Elizabeth II. You know, that's what I'm saying, guys. Like, Shinzo has been in the game for quite some time, ladies and gentlemen. He's not, this is not his first rodeo by any means. I mean, he was, he was there in 06, 07. He was there as the leader in 12 through 18, okay? Through half of the Obama administration and through half or a third of the Trump administration. A lot of questions to be had, right? Where did this guy really stand? Hmm? Whose team was he really playing for? These are questions that I am asking. These are questions that perk my curiosity. So uh, let's look at the uh, Abenomics, Abenomics, okay? Because there was something about the economic uh, climate in Japan that had people's attention. It says, but Abe may have been best known internationally for his eponymous monetary policy, Abenomics, meant to fight Japan's persistent deflation and kickstart a flagging economy. Japan's first leader born after the end of World War II, 
Abe was uh, also a member of the ultra-nationalist lobbying group Nippon Kaigi and was accused during his premiership of denying atrocities committed by Japanese forces during the conflict. In 2014 and 15, as the 70th anniversary of Japan's surrender approached, Abe was repeatedly accused of downplaying the widely accepted claims that the Imperial Army forced women from Korea and other conquer conquered nations into sexual servitude as so-called comfort women. Okay, I don't know if that's true or not, guys. I have no idea, but apparently that's what they were saying, and I'm not making any judgments based on that overall. We've still the entire package to consider, right? Okay, more images of Abe's assassination and mourning. Let's look at the dynasty. Abe was born to a political family. His father, Shintaro Abe, was Japan's foreign minister from 1982 to 1986. So if you want to understand Shinzo Abe, you might want to understand what was going on in Japan while his father was foreign prime minister for the nation. His grandfathers both served in Japan's government during World War II. Abe's maternal grandfather, Nabusuki Kisha, served in the wartime cabinet of Prime Minister Hidekai Tojo and was imprisoned for three years at the end of the war, though never charged or tried for war crimes. Kishi himself later served as prime minister from 1957 until 1960. Okay, so you'd have to get an idea of his grandfather, right? His grandfather also served as prime minister. They don't call it a dynasty for nothing. Grandfather, father, and son all serving as prime minister? Going back as far as 1957, shortly after, I mean, maybe not so shortly after in terms of relativity, but in terms of history, shortly after the Pearl Harbor terrorist attack, we have a prime minister related to the current and now assassinated former prime minister, who was the longest standing prime minister of Japan, finding a relation between the two. Very interesting. So you know what I would do in my own personal venue of research is look into the father and grandfather, see what policies they observe, see what policies they, uh, you know, um, uh, that they were silent on. See where they stood so I can get a better understanding of who Shinzo or Shitsu Abe was, okay? So even though Shinzo Abe might have been an ally of President Trump, maybe there's a bigger picture I'm not seeing, okay? Maybe Japan was just easy. Maybe Japan was just easy for the globalists because they had a leader like Shinzo Abe, and maybe Shinzo Abe, maybe it was easy for him because he was coming off the backs of a, um, a guilt-ridden society, as was prepared and outlined by the United States government and the leaders of Japan, however they might have taken it, and they took their rights, they disarmed them, and they created a narrative 
that first was shame, cultural and societal shame and guilt for bombing Pearl Harbor, and then ended up being cultural, advanced, spiritual, and um, what do you call it? Uh, Selfless societal protection of one's neighbor by not having a gun in China, in, in Japan. Maybe that's the narrative that they have prepared for us so that, you know, you know, the ones who write the history books, right? The ones who write the history books, the ones that control how society will run based on their control of the past so that they can write in the history books. Well, Japan as a, as a, as a nation, as society and a culture felt pretty guilty after they bombed Pearl Harbor. And uh, so they gave up all their guns. They gave up their right to have self-defense, a military. And then, you know, uh, the, the, the prime ministers went along with this agenda. And, and then when they had a prime minister that was like, hell, I come from a dynasty of, of prime ministers that has always been about serving this nation. And I'm going to turn it around and we're going to get a military and we're going to protect the Second Amendment. And we're going to bring all and we're not going to host, you know, uh, or are we going to host? Oh, actually, that's a question for another day. That's the, the, the big N word, as President Trump would say, the nuclear question was also a topic of conversation that was on the table just prior to Prime Minister Abe's assassination. So where did this man stand? You know, we ask the question here at the Sea Report and do not deny the question when it comes to mind. So, you know, without drawing any conclusions, without, um, you know, uh, without frolicking into the, uh, the shallow swamps of speculation itself, one just has to wonder why things are being set up or seemingly so the way that they are, Right. I would ask the question if I were you, but I am also very curious. Okay, here, gaze onto this photograph of Shinzo Abe while I reset my clock. We're already in the second hour, guys. The Sea Report and all the shows on this podcast channel are 100% listener supported. We don't have corporate sponsors. We don't have independent sponsors. Our sponsors are you, the listener. So if you like the work we do and like what we have to say and contribute to the world of news and information and entertainment, please show us your support. Make a monthly donation to help sustain future episodes at anchor.fm slash the sea report. Your support is greatly appreciated. From $0.99 cents per month to $4.99 per month to $9.99 per month. Every donation counts and every bit helps. Show your support for The Sea Report and other shows on this podcast channel by visiting anchor.fm slash The Sea Report. And thanks, y'all. That's right. We are exploring the life of Shinzo Abe. <coughs> I got a couple of more stories for you guys before we wrap up the evening, but we will get through Shinso first. So I have this article here. 
Uh, it's published by the Center for Strategic and International Studies. As I, I'm really, guys, I'm taking you through my process, okay? When you guys want to know, how do I report on Brazil? Or how do I report on Cuba? Or how do I report on Canada? Or how do I report on the Russia-Ukraine debacle with such confidence that I, I mean, uh, that does not, does not overshadow being able to correct mistakes if I need to. I'm, I'm taking you through my process right now. This is how I, I am learning with you guys about Shinzo Abe almost in real time, okay? I mean, granted, I obviously had some more time ahead of you guys to kind of figure some of this out, uh, but I'm still not yet at... The finish line with this man. We've got some other things to consider about Shinzo Abe. You know, um, there's a lot. I mean, think about it. A man who was prime minister for eight years, uh, most of half of which was through one of the most tumultuous times for sovereign nations, right? Including the United States of America. And also coming from a dynasty of former prime ministers who seemed to play ball. What was the playing of the ball? Were the people of Japan willing to give up their guns and demilitarize 20, 30, 40 years ago? Or was that part of some scheme dreamed up by America, the globalists, and all of their players at the time that kicked off World War II? Okay, and, and again, somewhere beyond my scope of knowledge for what happened in World War II in regard to the Japanese and Pearl Harbor managed to get the Japanese to blow up in a terrorist attack on this nation, one of the greatest events, not greatest, but the most, uh, you know, uh, the, the most uh, uh, treacherous events, Pearl Harbor, okay, not the most, but one of the most. And then forced the people of Japan into disarming themselves back in what? The 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s? I don't know when it happened. I haven't looked that far back. I didn't have that much time prior to the show. I've been pretty busy. But for those of you who know, hopefully this will help you connect the dots. For those of you who don't know, hopefully you'll stick around for future developments. And for those of you who don't know, hopefully it will prompt you to do your own research and maybe pass me a note. But um, I need to find out more about this man. So Center for Strategic and International Studies has an article on him. It's called Shinzo Abe's Legacy as Champion of the Global Economic Order. Uh, uh, champion of the Global Economic Order. And, you know, I've already seen some of the headlines and I haven't either A, looked at the video, clickbait, or B, read the article, whatever it is, okay? Because I haven't had the time. Where they're like, Shinzo Abe worked with the World Economic Forum. Shinzo Abe was hand in hand with the glue. He might have been. I don't know. You don't know. That's what we're here for. So first things first, ladies and gentlemen, you have to ask yourself the question. The Center for Strategic and International Studies. What kind of an organization is that? I've never heard of CSIS, right? So the first thing I do is I take a gander at their uh, people. Who are their leaders? Who's their CEO? Who's their board of directors? Etc. 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 
Um, typically what I'll do, uh, we were just actually looking on the, on the podcast, uh, over at the live stream, we were looking at, uh, the, the face of this great Caucasian man named John, uh, John J. Hamry. Don't know who that is. Typically what I'll do is I'll look at, um, a board of governors. In this case, we'll look at the board of trustees for the center for strategic and international studies. You can look at the, um, Previous presidents, previous governors, previous board members, etc. Because that'll give you a history of who is involved with such an organization, right? Sometimes after you, you do things like this, their, uh, their personal pages suddenly vanish, right? So in trying to understand Shinzo Abe, I look uh, at this article by the Center for Strategic and International Studies to see who these people are. They can always tell me who they are in their tagline. Let's look at who their leaders have been. Uh, their current chairman and CEO is Thomas J. Pritzker. Now, the name Pritzker is pretty damn familiar, but Thomas J., if he's not a Henry, I don't know who he is. <laughs> but I'm looking for names I can identify beyond a shadow of a doubt. Co-chairman, Nuclear Threat Initiative, Sam Nunn, can't say I've heard of him. Current president and CEO, John J. Hamry, who is also associated with the Langon Chair in American Leadership, can't say I know him. Trustees, Brendan Betchel of the Betchel Group, um, Othman Ben-Julon of BMCE Bank. Uh, Erskine Bowles of University of North Carolina, President Emeritus, Sue M. Cobb of uh, Cobb Partners LLC and the former U.S. Ambassador to Jamaica, William S. Cohen of the Cohen Group. Now, there's a name that sounds familiar. How about Lester Crown of Henry Crown and Company? William Daly of uh, Wells Fargo and Company. Okay, well there might be um, a little there might be a little red light right there, right? Okay, so Wells Fargo is involved with the CSIS. Uh, we got uh, Ray Dalio, uh, co-chief investment officer for Bridgewater and Associates. Andreas C. Dracopoulos. President uh, Stavros Niarchos Foundation, William E. Ford of General Atlantic. Okay, there's another name right there that might ring a bell. How about the former executive director of UNICEF, Henrietta Foray? Okay, well, you know UNICEF. I've heard about the many child rapes and the trafficking that UNICEF is at the very least complicit on, but... That doesn't necessarily drag the CSIS into the mire, does it? Michael P. Galvin of Galvin Enterprises, Helene Gale of Spelman College, uh, Evan Greenberg. Uh, you, you know, so currently you see there's not many people here that we have, you know, recognizable, you know, uh, everyday brand name, you know, um, uh, traitors to humanity up here on this list, right? So you go down the list, 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 and then things start to get a little bit interesting. Oh, who do we have here? James L. Jones Jr. of the Jones Group International. Okay, on the board of trustees. 
Now, we all know who James Jones is, right? Right? We all know who James Jones is, okay? If you've been following the Sea Report for any amount of time, if you're aware of uh, the Hammer and Scorecard, if you're aware of the Internet Interactive Activity, if you're aware of influence operations being run on Americans and people worldwide by the U.S. government and military, if you are aware of Clearforce, the uh, future's way of ensuring that no patriotic dissident gets hired and can make a name for themselves, President and CEO of Jones Group International, James L. Jones Jr., Okay? Enemy of humanity. So, when you get a name like that, and you get a board of trustees like what we've been through, one has to wonder what their perspective might be on a world leader. What does the CSIS think about Shinzo Abe? Where did this man really stand on the grand scheme of things? Well, well before we answer that question... Let's see some more of their other board of trustees. Oh, look, it's Henry Kissinger. <laughs> we got Henry Kissinger on the board, ladies and gentlemen. We got James McNerney. Okay. We've got Leon Panetta. All right. We've got Paul Ryan. Old blue eyes rhinoceros himself, Paul Ryan. Okay. Bob Schaefer, okay? So, I, it, you know, is this like another uh, Council on Foreign Relations? Is this another uh, Bilderberg? How many of these damn executive level elite groups are there out there? How many clubs do we got to burn down, right? How many clubs do we got to break up? That Chairman Emeritus, Charles A. Sanders, part of Project Hope, I tell you guys, if there were ever a defiled and a toxic, pedo-looking, freaking mutant demon, I would say it was that uh, judge on that movie back from the 80s, what was it called? Uh, Nothing But Trouble? And then I would say that Charles A. Sanders looks exactly like that judge. Ladies and gentlemen. So now we know a little bit more about the CSIS, the uh, Center for Strategic International Studies. We know who their people are. Okay, so what do they have to say about Shinzo Abe? That is the question, right? That's what we're asking here. The perspective is worth a lot, ladies and gentlemen. Shinzo Abe's legacy as champion of the global economic order. It is difficult to make sense of the shocking news of the assassination of Japan's former prime minister, Shinzo Abe. I lived in Japan for more than 10 years and can barely remember a media report about gun violence there. Moreover, Japan's political culture in recent decades has generally been peaceful and civil, and such a violent act is unthinkable. 
Abe was the most consequential politician in modern Japan, Japanese history. His legacy, while not without controversy, includes a broad range of accomplishments from strengthening Japan's defense to reinvigorating its diplomacy, to making Japan a more open and accessible, 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 accessible country. But it is in economic policy, especially his efforts to update and uphold global economic rules that Abe arguably made one of his greatest marks. Even before he resumed office in late 2012, Abe had signaled that domestic economic revival, a subject he had largely ignored in his first unhappy stint as prime minister in 2006 to 2007, would be a top priority of his new administration. For more than two decades since the bubble economy of the late 1980s burst, Japan had faced slow growth and three powerful economic headwinds, deflation, debt, and demographics, an aging and declining population. Might I add that central banks are in charge of taking care of all of this stuff? And might I add that the central banks that centralized and controlled the economic woes or the economic goods as well as the monetary currency in Japan are the same central banks that are headed by the board members, family members, workers, jobs, bosses, same people who run the Federal Reserve Central Bank here in America. You see what they were doing to Japan in the 1980s? Oh, they gave them a bust. They gave them some booms. They gave them deflation. They made sure that the economy was the number one topic for the leaders of that nation and that it would distract them or force them to play ball because that is what these bankers do with nations all around the world that they control. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You, you, want, you want to make sure that your constituents love you. You want to make sure that your nation's doing well. You want to make sure that you're still in power. You want to make sure you are the leader of the free world. Then you will do this. Because the bankers are totally, totally free from the rules of the nation. They are the sovereign people on this planet, the bankers are. They don't... They do not listen to and or adhere and or are upheld to any standard by any nation. The bankers who bank for nations. Did you ever think about that? Let that, let that little nugget rest in your mind. Be you a kingdom, be you a nation, be you modern or be you uh, ancient. If you as a nation, a government, a king went to a bank for support, your nation, your throne, your kingdom was put on the line to pay for the debt. It's a brilliant scheme, ladies and gentlemen. It's a brilliant scheme. So, uh, uh, Japan faced all of these economic headwinds, and I'm sure it wasn't by design, right? Article continues, Abe proposed a three-pronged economic strategy, quickly dubbed Abenomics by pundits, featuring aggressive monetary easing, 
flexible fiscal policy to bolster growth while containing debt and deregulation and other structural reforms. Abenomics made sense as a strategy but largely failed in implementation. Abe's pick as central bank governor Haruhiko Kurodu injected the promise of monetary stimulus and continues to do so even as the yen plummets and other central banks raise interest rates. But the other two arrows of Abenomics fail to take flight. Japan's economy still suffers from tepid growth, deflationary pressure, and structural inefficiencies. Abe's efforts in the international economic realm have been far more impactful. Less than two months after returning to office, Abe's visited, uh, Abe visited Washington in February 2013, making a memorable speech at CSIS in which he declared that Japan is back. The new prime minister noted that as he spoke, his officials were negotiating the terms of Japan's entry into the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Okay, so Abe, ally of Trump, uh, seemingly nationalistic president, joining the TPP, okay, Son of a prime minister dynasty. Do you guys kind of get where I'm going with this as we learn more and more about Abe? I'm not trying to be the uh, negative Nancy in the room, but you know, someone's got to give you this perspective. And hell, if no one else is going to tell you what their truth is about any situation that comes across their news desk, and they damn well should, I am, okay? So I am. Loved and respected the father of a generation in modern Japan, Shinzo Abe, wants to sign it over to the TPP, okay? Has a family dynasty. It's just another perspective on another timeline. Whose timeline are you going to sit in? doesn't matter to me. It's your decision. You are a free moral agent. Are you going to continue with the bullshit? that you get every day from people who, it is whatever. Okay, so, interesting this Abe character is, right? Interesting, we're not done yet, so let's finish up. It says here, the new prime minister noted that as he spoke, his officials were negotiating the terms of Japan's entry into the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the comprehensive high standard trade agreement that the United States was then negotiating with 10 other Asia-Pacific partners. Abe's TPP announcement had ripples as far away as Beijing, where it sparked a serious debate among officials and scholars in early 2013 about whether China should also apply for TPP membership and use the agreement's high standards to drive economic reform at home. What were those high standards? Wasn't it like zero uh, uh, percent goes to uh, the United States of America, right? Right, like, di didn't, weren't we doing that for, like, free trade? Wasn't that free trade with the Asian countries? So they can send all their shit over here for free without any type of taxation or import uh, fee. And uh, we got, like, what, doubled or tripled on our export costs? Was that not what the TPP was? I mean, China could really have capitalized on that. They've already capitalized on so much from America taking abuse into uh, consideration of our nation. But then again, you know, we kind of let that happen. 
everyone before President Trump was just basically giving their ass away for any John that came along on the street at 2 a.m. in the morning that was uh, hard up for a fill. That's what the United States was, ladies and gentlemen, as crass as that description is. Let's just face reality, okay? And President Trump said, no, this ass is worth more than a free hit at 2 a.m. on the corner in behind the dumpster, okay? President Trump said, you know what? This nation is worth more than what you are currently paying for. And you're not paying. You're just totally taking advantage, abusing this nation, the help, whatever you want to call it, okay? We found our self-worth between the years of 2016 and 2020 here on these shores of America. We're not about to let it happen again. And now... We are in the process of securing and ensuring that those conditions do not return. Are they here now? Maybe, but only temporarily. <laughs> Amazing how much we were able to push ahead in advance in the four short years of reprieve that we had from globalist deep state dominion over our nation. Take note my American brothers and sisters, take note of how far we came in such a short amount of time. That is a signal about how far we could go if we only persevere and have integrity. Okay? Take note. A, law, a little bit of gas goes a long way with patriots, ladies and gentlemen. A little bit of gas goes a long way. And don't you forget it, all right? Now it says here, in addition to kickstarting TPP, Abe played an even more critical role in salvaging the agreement after Donald Trump in one of his first acts as president pulled the United States out of the agreement. In early 2017, against all odds, Abe rallied the other the 10 other TPP member countries and ultimately won their support for a comprehensive and progressive agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. So, ally of President Trump, ally of nationalism and sovereign nations, but still stands for the disarming of his people, still stands with the TPP and fought to ensure that the other 10 TPP member countries did not follow suit with Donald Trump in maintaining our sovereignty and saying no to this terrible agreement. Shinzo Abe decided that, uh, well, we're going to stay part of the TPP. It's going to be comprehensive. It's going to be progressive. And we're all going to stay here, President Trump-san. My ally son, I am Shinzo Abe son. So what the hell narrative is the legacy media really trying to pull with the assassination of Shinzo Abe? And have you guys learned something? I hope so. Okay. Because I mean, you know, if I hadn't gone looking into this topic, I might have thought that Shinzo Abe was a Trump supporter, Trump loyalist, Trump uh, friend. Friend of humanity, friend of sovereignty, friend of nationalism. It doesn't sound like he was. And uh, this is based on the CSIS article. But we're not done yet. Okay, okay. You know what they say. 
The history of the world is completely untrue and everything that we have been told is a lie. So when I challenge your perspective on the world here at the Sea Report, try not to get too much cognitive dissonance, okay? All right. Let's go back to this article, okay? Because we're already flipping people on their heads here tonight. But that is what we do. Um, it says here, it was uh, not just in trade policy that Abe left an important legacy in global economic rulemaking and norm setting. In May of 2015, Abe announced a new partnership for quality infrastructure featuring high standards for labor, environment, and debt sustainability in infrastructure projects. A non-too-subtle response to China's ambitious Belt and Road Initiative and establishment of the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank as host of the G20 Summit in Osaka in 2019, Abe won endorsement, including by China and other large emerging markets, of a set of quality infrastructure principles to govern the trillions of dollars of investment in roads, hospitals, and digital infrastructure needed in the Asia-Pacific region alone. A third example of Abe's impact in global economy economic rulemaking is in the critical area of data governance. The global economy is increasingly digitized with massive amounts of data created every minute, yet there are no internationally agreed rules on the privacy, security, and flows of these data. Speaking at the World Economic Forum in Davos in January of 2019, do you think Abe was saying the unipolar uh, world centralized government is no more but a dream? Do you think that's what he was saying? Do you think he was following in the footsteps of Putin and President Trump? Or do you think he was talking about how to control the nature of data in his nation? I don't know. Um, you know what? I would not bet anyone on that based on everything I've shared this evening. But let's continue. It says here... Um, he spoke at the World Economic Forum in Davos in 2019 in January and Abe proposed the concept of data free flow with trust as the organizing principle for global rulemaking in this area. He must have been talking about that nice little world that existed after 2030 where all the elites get to frolic about in the forests with all of their pagan and Luciferian ideals and live in a peaceful and uh, and respectful for humanity and their rights type of civilization, right? Where you have data free flow with trust, but nobody in the cities, nobody who was conservative, no one who was nationalistic, no one who did not meet the World Economic Forum or the globalist standard, transhumanist standard on elitism, right? You don't, you don't get the privilege of data free flow with trust, okay? Only the ruling elite get that and their children, right? So um, Abe, again, he won the G20 endorsement for this concept and the current Prime Minister Kishida and their administration is reportedly planning to make realization of DFFT rules and norms a priority for Japan's G7 host in the year 2023. So you have the current administration of Japan basically following the footsteps of Shinzo Abe and uh, and realizing the goals, the plans, the dreams of Shinzo. 
can't be nothing wrong with that, right? It's just uh, business as usual in Japan, right? Regardless of the fact that he was moitered. For decades, Japan was essentially a role taker in the global economy, often assuming a defensive posture in international trade and rarely taking risks to champion new rules and norms. Abe changed all that as his bold efforts on TPP, quality infrastructure, data governance underscore, at a time when the global economic order is under stress and the United States has pulled back from its traditional role as shaper of global economic rules, Abe's leadership was pivotal. His legacy will long outlive his tragic end, so saith the Center for Strategic and International Studies, otherwise known as a globalist transhumanist a military industrial complex hotbed but they've got good things to say about abe so why should i uh damper that right or why shouldn't i talk about it that's more my question uh oh looks like we got another so now you guys see um uh, this think tank type organizations thoughts on Shinzo. Let's take a look at what some people around the world are saying about Shinzo. And we're going to start with the United States of America. Let's take a look at what Mike Pompeo has to say about Shinzo Abe. I think that concerning Pompeo's um, knowledge and also when he was part of the national uh, defense as a former... Uh, what do you call it, uh, with President Trump, might have some perspective, right? <laughs> might have some perspective. Uh, Kelly Cummings, hey, good to see you. Only come around when it's fallen apart. Let me go. We're talking about the foxhole here. Anyways, okay. So uh, let's see what Pompeo has to say. I think uh, concerning his uh, state in the nation at the moment... Uh, could be something worth considering. Let's uh, let's finish my words and begin his. More on this, let's get to our guest. We are very fortunate to have Fox's contributor and former Secretary of State and former CIA Director Mike Pompeo. Mr. Secretary, thank you for taking time. I want to go right to your thoughts on Abe. Well, Griff, thanks for having me on today. Uh, the, the world's going to miss someone who thought about the world in a very realistic way. He didn't, he didn't pretend it's as he wished it were. He was prepared to convince the Japanese people of the things that he knew uh, to build out relationships with the United States. I, I first met him back in 2015, so goodness, seven years ago, uh, when I was a member of Congress and he spoke to a joint session of Congress, not something many leaders get to do, but it was a possibility. And he became the prime minister again because he understood the things that they needed to do. They had historically been a, a nation that hadn't armed itself. He knew the Chinese Communist Party was a real threat to the way of life of every Japanese citizen. He was prepared to work with the United States, with Australia, with India, and partners in the region to deliver really good outcomes for his own people. From a geostrategic standpoint, the world will absolutely miss former Prime Minister Abe. Mr. Secretary, you obviously met him on many occasions. Was there a moment that stands out? You know, we worked very closely as we were preparing for our summits with uh, Chairman Kim in North Korea. 
uh, when he was when Chairman Kim was firing missiles, he was with us. Uh, when we were trying to convince the South Koreans of the right path forward, he was strong. Uh, he and I would joke about uh, Japanese beef and Kansas beef. I'm from Kansas, uh, whose beef was better. But he was always most serious about the things he knew needed to be done. And he knew the most reliable economic partner, the most reliable diplomatic partner, and he never shied away from it. Anything he promised us, Griff, anything he told us he would do, he delivered each and every time. And to say that about a world leader who was as, in as big and important nation as Japan is really quite something. And you raise such an interesting point, Mr. Secretary, because Abe really was respected uh, in, in every right of, of competing, not just with uh, other Asian allies, as you mentioned there, but also even with European or American uh, allies, but yet with uh, Japan's interest first and foremost. Always. Uh, our expectation that every leader would put their country and its citizens first. He, he certainly did that for his people. His first effort, uh, right, Abenomics, was to try and deliver good economic outcomes after 15, 20 years of bad economies inside of Japan. So that was his first mission set. His second one was to get prosperity alongside security. And he worked with us so closely for so many years to do that. Uh, the good news is, Griff, he was also a great leader. He has built up inside of his political party, inside of Japan, I think what will be a next generation of great leaders there as well. So I'm confident that the relationship between the United States and Japan, our economic interest, their economic interest, our security interest in theirs will be well served in the future as well. Uh, we will miss him, but his legacy will live on. And just quickly, what was your reaction, Mr. Secretary? I mean, obviously, uh, Japan has been noted many times as very, very few uh, gun-related deaths, and there's going to be a deep dive into the security procedures behind this. But what was your reaction when you, when you saw what had happened? Yeah, it, I, I, my heart was broken. I hadn't seen Prime Minister Abe for a number of months. I was hoping to see him again to, in not-too-distant future. He was a a friend as well. He was always very kind to me and to my wife. Uh, we, we'll miss him. To see him assassinated in this way reminds us all that we have to do the things we can while we are here, and that security responsibilities to protect political leaders, whether they are Supreme Court justices here in the United States or elsewise, is a paramount duty of each and every government. Well said, Mr. Secretary. Let me turn, before I run out of time with you, let me turn to uh, an upcoming trip, President Biden heading to Saudi Arabia. Your thoughts on that and perhaps uh, your hopes for what might be the takeaway? Well, I'm glad he's going, Griff. Uh, I, I wish he'd done the right thing here at home, right? I wish he'd gone to Midland, Texas or Kansas or North Dakota to the Bakken Shale or to Pennsylvania where we can produce all the energy America needs. I wish he'd allow us to do that. That should be the first trip that any president should take when you're thinking about American energy security. But I'm glad he's going. I hope that they'll have a good productive conversation. The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia is an important security partner, as we can see, an important partner for energy, not only for us, but for mm -hmm. the Europeans and the Asians as well. I hope he'll get good outcome. I hope they'll have a good relationship, and I hope they will build on what we did with the Abraham Accords in the Middle East in the years ahead. Well, critics of President Biden say that he is going with an open hand on bended knee to try and help with these gas prices. Is that how you view it? And can that help? Yeah, there, there's no doubt. He's put America and Europe in a very difficult place. The Europeans did it to themselves as well. We warned to the two, Griff. We told them if you depend on Russian energy and you close your nuclear power plants and you go you go all Greta Thunberg on us, right? You, you put climate change at the top of your agenda without a rational solution to provide affordable energy for your people. 
this is exactly the place you find yourself. So I hope that President Biden can find a way to get us back to American energy dominance in the way that we had for four years. And just in the last 30 seconds or so we have, uh, Mr. Secretary, I have to ask you, former President Trump, hinting again, perhaps closer, at announcing a 2024 run. And in all of those wire copy uh, reports, uh, hopefuls like Mike Pompeo included, any more thought as to whether you will declare for president in 2024? Griff, we'll all sort this out come the end of the year, beginning and next. In the meantime, we're going to go crush it here in November, have a really good election where the American people, the majority of Americans who understand the core values of our nation, will have a wonderful outcome in November. And they'll all get sworn in in January. Then we'll look to 24, Griff. Does that mean after the midterms, we can look at a definitive decision by Mike Pompeo? Oh, yeah, they'll come a day, and it'll be after the midterms. There's no doubt about that. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo sharing his thoughts on Prime Minister Shinzo Abe and many other things. Mr. Secretary, thank you very much. ...decision by Mike Pompeo. Uh, hopefuls like Mike Pompeo included. Any more thought as uh, hopefuls like Mike Pompeo at announcing a 2024 run, and again, perhaps closer at announcing a 2024 run. And in all of those wire copy uh, reports, uh, hopefuls like Mike Pompeo included, any more thought as to whether you will declare for president in 2024? Griff, we'll all sort this out come the end of the year, beginning and next. Perhaps closer at announcing a 2024 run. And in all of those wire copy uh, reports, uh, hopefuls like Mike Pompeo included, any more thought as to whether you will declare for president in 2024? Griff, perhaps closer at announcing a 2024 run. And in all of those wire copy uh, reports, uh, hopefuls like Mike Pompeo included, any more thought as to whether you will declare for president in 2024? Hopefuls like Mike Pompeo included, any more thought as to whether you will declare for president in 2024? Hopefuls like Mike Pompeo included, any more thought as to whether you will declare for president in 2024? Hopefuls like Mike Pompeo included, any more thought as to whether you will declare for president in 2024? Hopefuls like Mike Pompeo included, any more thought as to whether you will declare for president in 2024? Hopefuls like Mike Pompeo included, any more thought as to whether you will declare for president in 2024? Griff, we'll all sort this out come the end of the year, beginning and next. In the meantime, we're going to go crush it here in November, have a really good election where the American people, the majority of Americans who understand the core values of our nation will have a wonderful outcome in November. And They'll all get sworn in in January. Then we'll look to 24, Griff. Does that mean after the midterms, we can look at a definitive decision by Mike Pompeo? Oh, yeah, they'll come a day, and it'll be after the midterms. There's no doubt about that. Just thought I'd throw that in there. Sorry, guys. Technical difficulties. Apparently, the Mike Pompeo clip skipped over and over and over when we're talking about he running for president in 2024 to be continued ladies and gentlemen so you know there is a it's not the entire depth and breadth of what these states that are united called america are thinking about shinzo abe but it is a bit a, a little bit about what mike pompeo uh possible future uh presidential candidate for the gop for the republican party 
for the establishment party that sits on the right, that colors itself red, that calls itself something it's not, Mike Pompeo running for president in 2024. Uh, let's turn our attention to what some other countries might have to say. Uh, oh, actually, no, this is not even another country. This is Japan's Shinzo Abe sought to revive the economy and fulfill conservative agendas. Okay, so uh, we'll take a gander at this, but first... We're gonna follow. We're gonna we're gonna finish the uh, same countries line, like other nations, right? So let's look at let's look at India. India mourns the demise of great friend Abe Shinzo. What did they have to say about Shinzo Abe? Under Abe's government, Japan's ties with India expanded beyond economic relations to include nuclear and security cooperation too. This is from the Diplomat. I don't know who that is, but there is uh, there is uh, Prime Minister Modi of India shaking the hands of Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. Okay. Uh, the uh, article says the assassination of former Japanese Prime Minister Abe Shinzo on July eighth has shocked the world in India. Tributes are pouring in for the slain leader, leaders across the political spectrum, as well as captains of industry are recalling the key role Abe played in putting back on track bilateral relations that had been derailed by India's nuclear tests in 1998. The loss of a great friend of India has been felt across our nation, the Indian government said in a statement in his tribute to his dear friend Abe. India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi um, drew attention to their personal bond. He recalled how India-Japan relations, which were once restricted to economic ties, transformed during Abe's prime ministerial terms. Sorry, Abe's. Abe-san helped turn it into a broad comprehensive partnership, which not only covered every field of national interest, but became pivotal for our two countries and the region's security, Modi said. Indeed, from a predominantly economic relationship, India-Japan ties expanded to include cooperation on nuclear energy, security, and defense issues. India-Japan relations go back several centuries with the flow of Buddhism, paving the way for an intense exchange of cultural and ideas, culture and ideas between the two countries. In modern times, economic cooperation defined their engagement for several decades. Japan's spectacular recovery from the devastation of World War II and its technological prowess earned it much admiration in India. India has been among the top beneficiaries of Japan's overseas development aid loans for decades. However, India's nuclear policy derailed the relationship. Its nuclear tests in 1974 and in 1998 prompted strong Japanese condemnation. You know, because you got to kick further down the ladder, not up above you on the ladder. So they went for India. An angry Japan recalled its ambassador and imposed economic sanctions and cutbacks on aid. While the strain in ties eased within a few years, it was during Abe's first prime ministerial tenure, 
one year, 2006 to 2007, that India-Japan bilateral relations began gathering momentum. According to Sanjaya Baru, who was Prime Minister Manmohan Singh's chief spokesperson, spokesperson from 2004 of May until August of 2008, Abe placed India at the heart of its foreign policy for the Indo-Pacific region. During his visit to India in 2007, Abe addressed the Indian parliament in his speech titled Confluence of the Two Seas. Abe spoke of the Pacific and Indian Oceans bringing about a dynamic coupling as seas of freedom and of prosperity. A broader Asia is beginning to take uh, to take on a distant form, Abe said, and India and Japan have the ability and the responsibility to ensure that these seas become seas of clearest transparency. This speech laid the foundation for not only the India-Japan security partnership that would rapidly grow in the years that followed, but also their participation in a grouping of like-minded countries to meet the challenges posed by an increasingly aggressive China in the Indo-Pacific region. The Indo-Pacific framework and the quad grouping of Australia, India, Japan, and the United States, which Abe alluded to in his historic speech to the Indian Parliament, would take more concrete shape in subsequent years. A dramatic change occurred in India-Japan ties under Abe's leadership, and that was in the nuclear field. From fiercely opposing India's nuclear program, Japan came around to adopting a more pragmatic, even supportive approach. This culminated in Japan signing the Agreement for Cooperation in the Peaceful Uses of Nuclear Energy with India Act in 2017. This agreement allowed India, despite not being a signatory to the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, access to advanced cutting-edge reactor technologies and potentially nuclear reactors. Shyam Saran, a former Indian foreign secretary, recalled in 2020 the personal role Abe played in enabling the landmark India-Japan nuclear deal in 2017, overcoming very strong opposition of Japan's powerful non-proliferation lobby. Apparently, Abe had also played an important role in India getting a waiver at the nuclear suppliers group. Abe's Japan also supported infrastructure building in India with loans and technical expertise among the major projects undertaken by the Japanese in India um, are metro connectivity in Indian cities, a dedicated freight corridor between Delhi and Mumbai, and the construction of a bullet train between Ahmedabad, uh, sorry, excuse me, Ahmedabad and Mumbai. Besides, Japan has extended India huge loans of water sewerage and construction of smart cities across India. Abe saw immense potential in building a strong bond with India. He worked well with leaders across Indian pol political parties. He had deep respect for Prime Minister Singh and a close friendship with Prime Minister Modi.
The Congress government under Singh invited Abe to be the chief guest at India's Republic Day Parade in January 2014. He was bestowed the Padma Vibhushan, India's second highest civilian award in 2021. On Abe's death, India declared a day's mourning. The national flag flew at half-mast in his memory. So, a little bit of history between Japan and India. Why do I bring up India? Why is that important? I think India is a bigger player on the world scene than the Western audience is allowed to see. That's why. Uh, let's see how Russia reacted. Putin sends condolences to Shinzo Abe's family. Uh, President Vladimir Putin of Russia has sent condolences to the mother and to the wife of the late Shinzo Abe, a former prime minister of Japan, who was killed by a gunman on Friday. Putin's message called Abe an exceptional statesman who did a lot for good neighborly relations. Between Russia and Japan during his tenure in office, Putin said that during his contacts with the Japanese politician, he fully appreciated his personal and professional qualities. A fond memory of this wonderful man will stay forever in the hearts of everyone who knew him, he said. Earlier, the Russian foreign ministry described the shooting as a terrorist act and called for the culprit to be held accountable. Meanwhile, Dmitry Peskov, the spokesman for the Kremlin, called Abe a true patriot of Japan. He always fought for the interests of his country and preferred to do so at the negotiation table. That is why he established a good, constructive, working relationship with the Russian president, Peskov added. Abe was killed during an election rally in the western Japanese city of Nara. He arrived in hospital with no vital signs and was proclaimed dead as a result of blood loss shortly afterwards, medics said. The perpetrator was apprehended at the scene after having fired his weapon twice. He was identified by the police as 41-year-old resident of the city, Abe held the office of the Prime Minister of Japan from 2006 to 2007 and again from 2012 to 2020, which made him the longest-serving leader in the country's modern history. He resigned due to developing health problems but remained an influential figure in the ruling Liberal Democratic Party his public appearance was to deliver a speech on behalf of the Nara Prefecture's representative who is seeking a new term in the upcoming parliamentary election. So from Russia, we get a little bit more information about what was going on at the time of his death in Japan. Uh, we've got a couple more articles ladies and gentlemen, and then, uh, well, for the sake of time and mental capacities, we will bid you guys adieu. So, all right, two more articles. We're going to read this one and the next one, and we're done for the night here at the Sea Report. I had one more topic du jour for you guys in preparation, but again, whenever I get into these reports, whenever I get into this stuff, I really just go hard. So, um, let's wrap up Shinzo Abe 
And uh, I, I guarantee it will not be the last time we talk about this former prime minister and what was going on in Japan. I am not even going to get into what could be going on in Japan because, again, this is a portion of the world that I do not know a whole lot of, but I am exploring now. Oh, rest assured, are we exploring now? So, let's uh, close out tonight. Tonight, I guess, was... You know what? Tonight is a night for the fallen, ladies and gentlemen, in this geopolitical, political, non-political, sovereignty, nationalist, uh, globalist, collectivist type of struggle. Tonight is the night for that, ladies and gentlemen. So we'll, 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 we'll wrap it up with Shinzo Abe here at this moment for the Sea Report. We'll get caught up on our podcasts. You guys will be able to hear the goods. And we will carry on as is expected of us. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't relent. Don't surrender. Carry on. Move forward. Progress. Advance. Carry forth. Stay strong. Remain. This article, Japan's Shinzo Abe sought to revive the economy, fulfill the conservative agenda. This is coming from a legacy media outlet, so take it with a grain of salt. But I'm just curious if Shinzo Abe sought to fulfill the conservative agenda, where does that put the Western media and where should that put us in our field of knowledge and uh, experience? Article, again, from the MSN, yeah, from Reuters, even worse, right? From Reuters, let's see what they've got to say. It says here, um, uh, Japan's Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, okay, uh, the longest serving Prime Minister launched his Abenomics policies to lift the economy out of deflation, beefed up Japan's economy, and also sought to counter China's growing clout in a historic two-term tenure. Abe, age 67, appeared to have been shot during a campaign speech on Friday. National broadcaster NHK reported, the conservative lawmaker who quit abruptly as premier in 2007 after one year in the post, swept back for a rare second stint in 2012, pledging to revive a stagnant economy loosen the limits of a post-World War II pacifist constitution, and restore traditional values. So, I don't know, maybe Abe was on the up and up, right? Maybe he played politics too and went along to get along to get where he needed to be in order to secure Japan's sovereignty and get it out of this pacifist constitution that doesn't allow guns or a military, and become a world player and a world leader in regard to nation's sovereignty, nationalist appreciation of one's own culture, country, and heritage, and a valuing of the differences that create the magnificent plurality of points of views, perspectives, and opinions that is the human race, okay? 
It says here, Abe was instrumental in winning the 2020 Olympics for Tokyo, cherishing, cherishing a wish to preside over the games and even appeared as Nintendo video game character Mario during the Olympic handover. Abe became Japan's longest serving premier in November 2019, but by the summer of 2020, public support had been eroded by his handling of the COVID-19 outbreak, as well as a series of scandals, including the arrest of his former justice minister. Now, you know, for debacles like these guys is really where someone like me sits back and asks the question... Well, you know, was uh, Abe maybe against forced vaccination? Was Abe maybe against mask mandate? Was Abe maybe against shutting down Japan? Was Abe maybe against the six-foot separation rule? And if he was, and, you know, through all of their hacked and controlled ventilators, through all of their controlled and bought out and uh, either blackmailed or or um, uh, bribed uh, leaders of towns, cities, and states, hospitals, presidents, businesses, etc. Just go along to get along with the deep state, the New World Order, the WHO, the globalist transhumanist agenda, and decide to kill all these people and then blame it on someone who opposes lockdowns and opposes masks and opposes forced vaccination. Is that what happened to Abe? I don't know. I have to go back and I have to look between 2020 and 2021 and see how... Uh, the entire COVID-19 outbreak was handled in Japan. I know how it was handled in China. I know how it's being handled in communist China. But Japan, I am negligible on. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm only giving you my honest word on that. We are exploring now. That means uh, internet uh, wipers, go ahead and wipe out all your information. You better get on it because the C's on the case, Okay. Now, uh, getting back to completing this article and perspectives that just keep on shifting and bouncing and just uh, moving around here tonight. It says that Abe resigned without presiding over the games, which were postponed till 2021 due to COVID-19. He first took office in 2006 as Japan's youngest prime minister since World War II. After a year plagued by political scandals, voter outrage at lost pension records and an election drubbing for his ruling party, Abe quit citing ill health. What worries me most now is that because of my resigning, Abe subsequently said, the conservative ideals that the Abe administration raised will fade. Keeping in mind that Abe was a conservative nationalist running under and as the leader of the Liberal Democratic Party of Japan, which should tell you all, ladies and gentlemen, whether you are in these United States of America or you are somewhere else in the world, these are made up labels that are just stuck on anyone to assist the globalists and the uh, uh, world elite on how to pigeonhole or use or exploit a nation. 
how can we, how can the conservative right of, and a nationalist right of Japan call themselves liberal Democrats when the progressive communist socialist nation destroying, border dampening Democratic Party of America has the same name because it doesn't mean the same thing, okay? A Democrat in America is not a Democrat in Japan. A conservative in America, a Republican in America is not the same thing as a conservative or a Republican in the United Kingdom. They are labels, labels created by these globalist elite entities to, to, to just control and to extremely uh, 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 consolidate any maneuvers made by any political parties in the world. So we don't need political parties. We don't need Republicans. We don't need Democrats. We don't need this uniparty structure that has controlled, defooled, deceived the entire American population from the jump. We're still trying to deal with it to this day. Most of us cannot even wrap our heads around the concept of the Republican Party being totally defiled, totally weak, and totally against the United States of America, the people, the Constitution, and what it stands for. They want to reform the Republican Party. Okay, when this party has stood against us from the jump, the history, the beginning, people don't get it. Maybe you'll get it now. Okay, the conservative nationalists in Japan are called liberal Democrats. These are labels that they are using to keep us confused and divided and not to figure out the fact that someone who could be fighting for the sovereignty and the national security of their nation might actually be conservative, might actually have the same morals and values as you have as a conservative American, but they're called liberal Democrats, so they can feel like they're on the right side of the propaganda smear lie campaign, you know, that the media is putting out, which is the Democrats are good, the conservatives are bad, so it has been really good that the people who have the same moral compass as conservatives in America are called liberal Democrats in Japan so that they think that Democrats in America have the same moral values that the people in Japan have. Can you guys see the entire global faux, fop, fake structure just right there, okay, right in your hand, in your face, I'm giving it to you, this perspective, golden, okay, this is a golden perspective, I am handing to you, take it or not, I don't care, okay, I care because I love you, but I don't care because it is your decision in the end, and it is none of my business whether or not you care, but I am telling you now, these people did not exactly have it figured out when they decided that they wanted to go with the globalist, consolidated, unipolar uh, governmental scheme in this world. They decided they wanted to do this. They didn't get it right. They haven't gotten it right. You know, there are so many holes in their plan that we can poke through with all their little labels and name calling. But I just want you all to get it. Because you all are the ones who are important. And if you get it, everyone gots it. Okay? And these people are done. And not a gun will be lifted. Not a bullet will be fired. And these people will be removed.
And it all hinges on our true understanding of this information. Independently and collectively, ladies and gentlemen. Let's finish the article because we got to scram. So Abe went on to say, from now on, I want to sacrifice myself as one lawmaker to make true conservatism take root in Japan. Five years after resigning, which he blamed on the intestinal ailment ulcerative colitis, Abe led his conservative liberal democratic party, ousted in 2009 back to power. He then launched a three-pronged Abenomics strategy to beat persistent deflation and revive economic growth with hyper-easy monetary policy and fiscal spending, along with structural reform to cope with a fast-aging shrinking population. Deflation proved stubborn, however, and his growth strategy suffered in 2019 from a sales tax hike in a Sino-U.S. trade war. Again, United States knew what tools to implement in order to affect some type of um, some type of uh, uh, struggle. The COVID-19 outbreak the following year triggered Japan's biggest ever economic slump. At the outbreak's onset, Abe was slow to close Japan's borders and implement a state of emergency. Oh, oh, does this kind of sound like what I was talking about earlier? What, wait, what? Not really believing the globalist narrative that there is a pandemic out there killing everyone. And if you don't just go along with what we say and tell that to your people, then you're going to pay the consequences through lies and propaganda, through, uh, through, through um, a malignant means of uh, conferring this tragedy over into real life. Sounds like Bolsonaro to me, just in that uh, half statement right there. Critics initially branded the response clumsy and later faulted Abe for a lack of leadership. Same thing with Bolsonaro, same thing with Trump. Still, Japan's death rate remained far below that of many other developed nations. Uh, it goes in to talk about uh, Abe's uh, family history, which we've already talked about to the dynasty of the Abe family in Japan, which just, you know, Abe, Musk, Musk, Abe, you know, they've been billionaires and millionaires for years. They've been political family figureheads for centuries. You know, you don't know who to trust nowadays, ladies and gentlemen. So you just got to figure it out and we'll give you some perspective including that which you might not have thought about when you're caught up in the rat race of fake political uh, patriotic pundits. And otherwise, we'll give you a perspective to uh, really sit on the potty about, ladies and gentlemen. You ain't gonna be tinkling anytime soon, so rest your ass on the pot. Because we've got a lot of perspectives here at the Sea Report. Here's another article, Possible Motive Behind Shinzo Abe's Assassination Revealed. Let's see what this is all about. It says here, Shinzo Abe's suspected assassin had a grudge against the former Japanese prime minister, but his motive was likely not political. Initial findings by local police suggest Tatsuya Yagamami, Yamagami, the 41-year-old suspect who was arrested at the scene, believed the former politician was involved with a specific organization, according to investigators. I do hope and pray 
ladies and gentlemen, that uh, this specific organization that this uh, Tetsuya Yamagami believes that Shinso Abe was a part of it has nothing to do with Q, has nothing to do with nationalism, right? Um, police in the western prefecture of Nara, where this assassination occurred, uh, told reporters it's not a grudge against the political beliefs of former Prime Minister Abe. Um, the name of the specific organization that uh, assassin Tatsuya Yamagati, Yamagami believes that Abe was involved with was not released, but investigators said it was apparently religious in nature, if it actually exists. According to local media reports, citing investigative sources, the suspect had initially planned to slay the leader of this group, believing it was responsible for bankrupting his mother by continuously leeching donations from her. Yamagami attacked Abe in broad daylight on Friday, fatally wounding the politician during a campaign event on Friday. Police confirmed the shooter had used a homemade gun, while additional items believed to be explosives and other makeshift firearms were seized at the suspect's residence. Yamagami is believed to have made the weapon himself a few months ago. Nara police admitted that security at the campaign event was flawed, and did not provide enough protection for Abe. It is undeniable that there were problems in the security, said the Uvalde police official. Ah, just kidding. This was the Nara Japan police official. And uh, that is what he told the media when they asked and had requests. Ladies and gentlemen... I think we have just about dug into Abe. Now, this is just this is just the appetizer. This is just the start. You know, you know what they say, ladies and gentlemen. You know what they say. When uh, the wicked are allowed to run amok in society, it is oft because the righteous are taking notes with that said ladies and gentlemen we will bring tonight's c report to a close uh i had planned to share um more stories aside from the um, assassination of shinzo abe with you guys tonight of course you guys never would have known if i didn't tell you and you probably would have thought this was a report in its own, but it is. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, seems like it is a night for the fallen. So if you haven't had enough C-Report, stay tuned for the next broadcast tonight here at Mr. CTV. Uh, coming up next is a special edition of the C-Report in the dark, otherwise known as See in the dark for those of you who know what's going on here at Mr. CTV. I'll be back in an hour with a guest, Java. You know him, you love him. Come on and see him. Java will be joining me for an episode of See in the Dark tonight. 
we will be back live at 11 p.m. Central. So if you are watching this on the live streams, whether we are at Foxhole, Pilled, Clout Hub, Rumble, Twitch, or otherwise, join us again tonight for a special edition of Sea in the Dark with guest Java. And more so ever than I have ever said on this broadcast, ladies and gentlemen, from my heart unto yours, please be safe out there. Keep your head on a swivel. Be blessed. Stay blessed. Remain blessed. And God bless America. God bless these United States of America and every single person and every single individual who is advancing the restoration of this republic. God bless them, every one and all. We'll see you next time. This is Mr. C, also known as Michael Aaron Cossidis, signing out. Join us in an hour, why don't you? We'll be back live.